Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. the media will take these questions very seriously. We'll report the facts. There was heavy interest in the first iteration of Flynn News from many years ago that got four times the coverage that the exoneration of Michael Flynn got today. Uh, that was a report by Media Research Center. So these facts are important. Um, and thank you very much for those who have taken interest in reporting. In 2015, shortly after the president said that some Mexican immigrants were rapists and criminals, you said that that language was racist and hateful. Do you still believe that today? Well, I'm actually glad you asked that because for about the first four weeks of the election, um, I was watching CNN and I was naively believing some of the headlines. But I, I would encourage the individual who did that analysis of my past, um, rather than focusing on me, he really should be focused on some of the very guests CNN chose to have on their network. He should be focused on, I mean, my over here, Jim's, Jim Clapper, who said, you know, 10 days before he privately told investigators there was no evidence of collusion, that Watergate pales in comparison to the Russia probe. I'd encourage them to look at Samantha Powers, who's privately saying, I'm not in possession of any evidence of collusion. Ambassador Rice, I don't recall intelligence or evidence of any collusion. Former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, I do not recall that being briefed to me and for three years two years probably more than that cnn ran with the collusion narrative and if the american people are watching right now they're probably very confused as to some of the quotes i read because those individuals were saying much different things publicly than they were saying privately and i'm very grateful that those transcripts were released yesterday and perhaps the k file should do an analysis but she said during her first press conference will be that she would never lie She's already broken that promise. She broke that promise uh, during the first, you know, the, the, her first press briefing. But I think what was most striking to me is that she said that it was nonsensical to think everyone should get a coronavirus test. That was shocking to me because CNN has just confirmed, I'm not sure if ABC has, but CNN has just confirmed that a valet of Trump's just tested positive for the coronavirus. And so it's obviously important enough for everyone in the White House and surrounding the president to be tested for the coronavirus. But it's not important to the press secretary and to the administration for Americans to be tested for the coronavirus. And so that tells me that she is just spinning lies to the American people uh, rather than being honest with the American people. And she never answered that question, by the way, that was posed to her. She never answered the question. So she is just lying to the American people like everyone else. That she never... Um, really answered the question, uh, which was, did you, would like, would you like to take it back that no coronavirus was going to be coming to the United States under Trump? She never answered the question. She just walked off sort of, uh, embarrassed, I think. So let's start there. Also, the thing about testing, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having so much trouble understanding where they're coming from. Is she willing to send her kids to camp, for example, without everyone being tested at the camp, including the counselors, the children? Uh, are she willing to send her children to school before they test everybody? Uh, this is, she keeps saying you have to be tested every hour. Well, excuse me, Ms. McEnany, you are wearing professionally applied makeup. 
Uh, so, darling, were you willing to have someone apply it without their being tested? That, that's another question I have for Ms. McEnany. Um, one more little point is that uh, a country like Iceland has been testing seven times at the rate that the United States has. That's a disgrace. That's just a disgrace for this country. And welcome back to Flower Politics Podcast. It is the 11th of May, year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah, going early. I had stuff, but just too much stuff, so I figured I'd crank this one out. And that was the intro. I just wanted to play once again, just so we had a frame of reference, uh, the new press secretary, I think rightly bashing the media for their lies, and of course the view losing their shit, because... Remember, nothing angers our liberal media more than when they're caught in a lie. And then they get to do, because they have the mic, well, that's a lie. She already lied. She's a liar. Everybody's a liar who doesn't think like us or say what we say. But it's well documented. We've done about a 100 fucking podcasts or something since the COVID lockdown shit. That our media has played it down and called everybody racist who took it seriously and it's a fucking pandemic. Nobody's to blame. It's a pandemic. They happen. There's not a whole lot you're going to do, but now it's, oh, we have 80,000 deaths, which we've proven on the show. doesn't really mean 80,000 people died of COVID. It just means 80,000 people have died. And we're counting it as COVID deaths. And, the, you know, they're still stuck on the last podcast of he's killed more people than Vietnam War and blah, 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 blah. L- l- luckily, today in our news and social media, you know, somebody flips that script on them. So we'll save it for there, but it's pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Pence's AIDS came up positive. So they were in quarantine and now they're not in quarantine because none of them got it. And I think the media was holding its breath just so excited um, that he got it. He was hoping they got it. Him, Faruqi, all of them, and they could say, see, he didn't wear a mask. He didn't wear a mask. He didn't wear a mask. But they had already gotten caught with Jimmy Kimmel craziness this week that we're going to cover. So I didn't get any sound bites on the whole Pence quarantine thing, which is kind of interesting. Um I thought I'd get some gleeful reporters going, yay, somebody in the Trump administration got the virus. I hope they all fucking die. But what I did get is a supposed conservative, and you see this a lot lately. I know it's repetitive, but it's their circle jerk of a comment trying to make Pelosi President, and he tweeted, straightforward from here, President Trump has to self-quarantine due to possible exposure to coronavirus, can't fulfill duties of presidents in quarantine, steps down, VP Pence has to self-quarantine, can't fulfill duties of vice president, steps down, President Pelosi. And I saw people calling for the 25th, you know, the whole West Wing thing has always been high on liberals, knowing that if it was Republican-controlled Congress, there's no way in hell a Democratic president, even if he was on a respirator, would do the 25th and step down. It just wouldn't happen. I don't care what you say. It wouldn't happen. They just wouldn't do it. That was a TV show. But our media lives in 
TV shows. They're real. Everything's real in a TV show. It's what we should be. To Georgia, which has been getting bashed a lot. You know, once again, uh, Colorado opened, but nobody really cared. They just went after Georgia. Here's Brian Kemp. Today's marks the lowest number of COVID positive patients currently hospitalized statewide, 1,203 since hospitals began reporting data on April 8th. Today also marks the lowest total of ventilators in use, 897 with 1945 available. We will this fight together. As we reported, headlines like to announce things like one day after reopening, Florida recorded a record number of new deaths. Never mind the incubation period means those people would have had to have been infected before. The thing is, Georgia started an experiment in a human sacrifice a couple weeks ago, meaning the death toll should be spiking right now. Alex Bernison, Georgia began lifting its lockdown 15 days ago. Restaurants opened eight days ago. And the world goes, but, but, but I thought we were going to all die. And then you got people saying, I'm going to Salon on Friday. We'll let you know if I survive. A few weeks ago, I was called every name under the sun by strangers on Twitter for supporting Governor Kemp's decision to reopen. But there's no spike. Somebody even pulled out data to show once April 21st hit, they went down. And that's why he made the decision. And some of these are just classic. Hold on. Let me check my notes. says here two weeks over and over and over. Just wait two weeks. Two weeks. Just wait. Hasn't been there what we've heard for two months. Two more weeks. Billions of George will be dead. Bank on it. But the banks will also be dead. Me, every time I get another report like this, we are still closed down tight in Oregon with 500 hospitalizations. We're still closed down in Oahu with zero new cases in the state. We are vacationing in Georgia right now. We need to get away and decide to spend our money in a state that wasn't scared to stand up to the whiners. I got a haircut two weeks ago in Georgia. I'm still alive, bitches. (laughs) And it goes on and on. But it's working. Tennessee is the same thing. it's, It's working. We're not getting new cases. But the media doesn't want to cover it that way. Our last one on this, I think this news is upsetting for many people. Let's see. Georgia is suppressing the numbers like Florida. If Stacey Abrams was governor, there would be zero cases. If all this fails, wait two more weeks. And that's what they're going to do. Wait two more weeks. Okay, I I trailed off there. There's a reason I trailed off. I, I got a new update to Windows and the Xbox widget. Is something new, and it looked like somebody was taking over my fucking computer. But it's used, I guess, so you can record your games. And since I was recording something, and I it just updated, it took over my computer. So I'm back. So we're going to start again with uh, Bethany Mandel, and and we'll get in the new stuff. But I wanted to cover stuff we talked about, and of course she got attacked because she said what we all said that you know the end game doesn't seem to be the end game. So the democracy dies in the dark people over at WAPO decide to write an article. Alexander Petri writing a snarky column where animals talk back. Because one line was about go see the zoo. And zookeepers going to lose. I mean, it was just one line. But they must attack things from full, you know, every angle. Because how dare you have an opinion that's not theirs. This fucking thing, man. Seriously. Tell me this is journalism. This is just an excerpt. The zoo. 
Zoo animals banded together to push back against demands of people who wanted to be out visiting them and other temporarily shut out, shuttered attractions right away. Even a met being called grandma killer and bearing responsibility for unnecessary rise of fatalities. The hell, said one puffin. Let actual living people die so you can see me. I'm just some bird. You can get a better visual of me on the internet. Yeesh, I'm not worth it. Have you visited a zoo before, Rhinoceros added? I'm still standing in the corner of my enclosure in a way that I'm not visible at all except for my hindquarters. I will do nothing of interest except possibly defecate indifferently in front of your six-year-old. I will not be visible either. Tamarin that was supposed to be rare, interesting added. I will be very clearly labeled, but you won't be able to see me at all because I will be behind some foliage where I will remain for the entire duration of the visit. And the article goes, and as you might imagine, Bethany wasn't very happy about this. Bethany Mandel, instead of offering me the opportunity to write a column to explain the argument, which was coherent and part of a thread that has over 35,000 likes, the WAPO had a columnist pen a piece about how zoo animals don't want me to kill grandma. It was truly embarrassing. Seth Mandel, my theory is that since we both write for Atlantic and WAPO, this is the editor's way of calming the nerves of the writers who freak out at the introduction to opposing viewpoints. Let them blow off steam by putting on an animal costume and sitting on Twitter all day. But even worse for the Washington Post is Petrie's column and every other critic missed why she added zoo in her tweet storm in the first place. In summary, it's the workers, stupid Bethany Mandel. Does no one who works at Washington Post get the fundraising email for the National Zoo? I'm not sorry for being concerned about the livelihoods of people that work there. Do you know what would be a good use of the Washington Post time? Talk to some of the folks who work concessions or teach education classes. This extended and undefined lockdown comes on the heels of recent government shutdown. There are real economic concerns for folks that work there, and they were mocked in their hometown paper. We've been members of the National Zoo for five years, long before we moved here. I have fond memories of the security guy who jumped into the leopard enclosure because my daughter was sobbing after a droppy, dropping her sippy cup in there. He didn't jump in the actual pen, just the security perimeter around it for like two seconds to grab and jump back. It wasn't this. For Bethany, a homeschool mom, losing the zoo also means losing a valuable resource and people <clears throat> she knows personally. I remember the teacher who taught my daughter in the homeschool science class who quit right after or during the shutdown. Folks can't not draw a paycheck indefinitely. I used a park in the same parking lot every week and got to know the woman at the gate. We had a skinned knee once, and a woman in one of the shops ran out with a magical Band-Aid. Do I have an emotional attachment to the zoo? Hell yes, I do. And the people who work there, I'm so sad for them. I wonder what the future holds. Our zoo is better off than almost any other because it receives federal funding. Lots of other culture institutions don't, and their employees are facing indefinite furloughs and layoffs. I've had nice phone calls from several institution development departments after donating to them amidst this crisis. The first layoffs have been forced to make are concessions, cleaning, parking, the folks most vulnerable to financial crisis. I'm take, taking this cancellation in good humor, except when it pertains to this. <clears throat> Instead of addressing my concern, which were again part of the coherent and long thread with tens of thousands of likes, with anything resembling good faith, 
I was called what I said I would be. And whenever add Grandma Killer to my neo-Nazi bio, it's all so profoundly dumb. But everyone amplifying the Grandma Killer meme decided to ignore my larger point because they'd rather dunk than consider their doctor's closing or the lady at the zoo shop on a food bank line and the conscious decision to mock the very real, very dire economic concerns Americans have says a lot more about them than it does me. Mary Catherine Ham. I did not have liberals actively rooting for the collapse of museum, education, and culture to own the cons on my 2020 bingo card, but it's been a weird year. That's how petty they are. They're just so petty. I didn't even pick up the zoo comments. When I read it last podcast, I read what we all said. What is the end game? There is none. This is all politics now. We're just going to keep shit. Oregon's locked down. My mom is still scared to death. It was Mother's Day. I called her. She thinks the governor is doing a great job because they've gotten them so scared she doesn't realize her state's like number 30. They don't even have enough cases to stay closed. But for politics, they will. Lucy Caldwell, Joe Walsh's former campaign manager, thought it would be a good idea to go after Bethany Mandel's kids. Lucy Caldwell. Should we worry for the Mandel's kids that every form of pleasure requires leaving confines of the home? I mean, I guess when you have a mom who claims men shoving penises in women's faces is no big deal. Getting out of the house may be key to survival, let alone pleasure. Seth Mandel. Joe Walsh, campaign manager, comes after our kids and invokes sexual predators against a mother who is a victim of a sexual predator. Not the first time the crew at their backers have come out after a family, but probably the most explicit. Revealing look into who these people are. Your boss thinks the N-word is great. Shut the fuck up and crawl back in your hole. Lindsay Feifeld. I've read this a few times in stunned silence because I can't believe anyone writes something so vile and so ignorant and would feel comfortable tweeting it knowing her followers were just... Agree. Bethany Mandel, the campaign manager for Check Notes, Joe Walsh is worried about my kids. The horrified replies to this tweet gives me hope that there are some lines of decency still left and that there are those willing to speak up when they are crossed. All because she did a tweet storm that we all wanted to do. But that tweet storm was amplified by Twitter, supposedly a social media entity that's not supposed to be on either side, who pushed it and made sure, with one of their liberal working at home in their mom's basement, still drawing a paycheck, little handlers, forced it up so that everybody in the world saw it. Made it a trending topic. That's the left. Also the left. Resolution being voted on by San Antonio Council this morning. Labels termed Chinese virus and Kung Fu virus a hate speech. And all persons are encouraged to report any such anti-Semitic, discriminatory, or racist incidents to the proper authorities for investigation. That's what they were doing. While their citizens, you know, don't have jobs. Scrounging for food. Eating spam. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. Jesus. 
ABC News Politics. Eschewing the president's traditional role as comforter-in-chief, President Trump has yet to visit a hospital, and there have been few signs that he interacted with people who have fallen ill. That's an article that he is supposed to go visit hospitals and get it. But the problem is, if he did, well, this tweet replies the perfect one. The love of stupidity that has to be behind this post is so mind-boggling that Einstein would be stumped. This stupidity needs a bigger ratio. And you know that six weeks ago they wrote both this story and an alternative. President Trump puts himself ahead of families, guidelines for hospital photo op. That's what they said. So ABC runs this, and simultaneously, Jimmy Kimmel and most of your journalists floated the fake delivery of PPE with Mike Pence story. Empty boxes. The captain of the Space Force was in Alexandria, Virginia today. You can see here he is with no mask on, wheeling boxes of PPEs into a healthcare center and doing his best to lift them. What a hero. <laughs> Just barely in the door. And since it was going so well, and also because he didn't realize he had a mic on, Magic Mike decided to keep it going. Listen in closely here. Mike Pence pretending to carry empty boxes of PPEs into a hospital is the perfect metaphor for who he is and what he's doing. A big box of nothing delivering another box of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's just... Kimmel... Kimmel's a piece of fucking shit. This is one of those social media things where you look at, think to yourself, this is just so shitty. We get it. Media. You hate Trump, and by extension, Pence... And I add to this article, everyone not like you. But pretending this ridiculousness is a story without doing the least bit of due diligence is really just pathetic. From using fake footage of hospitals to fake testing sites to using footage of gun ranges to claiming Syria were at war, the media have done themselves no favor in the past four years. Look at this horse crap. And let's just stop for a second. We caught one CBS fake in the line, which we've caught numerous times on this podcast. Go back, protester line, stage in this, da-da-da-da. We have the garbage bag fake. We have using it Italy. My mom, of all people, said, I can't believe CNN used Italian hospital footage and said it was America. That's why for a long time I wasn't trying to downplay the virus, but I was playing videos of people going to hospitals and going, yeah, my hospital's not overrun. There's nobody there. And then people go to hospitals, the field hospitals. There's nobody there. We know they make up the death numbers. We know that there are people being classified as COVID and counted as COVID, but they don't actually get tested. We know in some states that are doing it the right way, my state, which only has 15,000 cases, only 7,000 active cases, have only had 250 deaths, which are the same as everything else. They're just deaths. I can't even get tested unless I have a fucking fever. Other states are just saying, yeah, you got it. You got it. And then the worst part, and I forgot to do it in our intro because I usually do it but when you look at states now and they say we have 13 uh, 1,368,021 
cases and 80,789 deaths. All of a sudden, New York City only has 345,406 cases. They've not increased. New Jersey, 140. Massachusetts, 77. Oh, really, 78. Illinois, 78. California, 68. Pennsylvania, 60. Michigan, 47. The one I go to hasn't updated in three days. So you're telling me all of a sudden New York just stopped it. Does anybody believe that? Cuomo was just on TV saying, hey, we're finding out people in quarantine are getting everybody in quarantine. I mean, do you believe it? But now we're doing it because we're not pushing those numbers as much because we want to do the South. So this case, just another one of those. How many things have been reported to us that are lies? Do you know? No, you don't anymore. Mike Dermott, McDermott was the one that started it. Mike Pence caught on hot Mike delivering empty boxes of PPE for a PR stunt. Look at all the people who liked it. 105K. Jerry Dunleavy. This makes me curious. I watched the unedited C-SPAN video. Pence makes multiple trips from a van to a door of a center delivering full boxes of PPE. Pence comment about empties for the camera is a joke. He shuts the door right after he says it. All the morons pushing this fake story had to do was watch the entire video. But nah, it's more fun to pretend Pence only did this for a photo op. Jerry Dunleavy, of course, Radio Free Tom just retweeted this demonstratively untrue and deceptively edited video. If you watch full clip, you'll see that Pence delivered many full boxes of PPE. His quip at nine minutes is a clearly a joke, and he shuts the van door right after. The upcoming windmill dunk on this from real Donald Trump is so predictable. Congrats to Kimmel and every blind parson retweeting this deceptive nonsense for alley-oop assist. You know, they were so excited to see this, to believe the sad, small, little people they are. Here's an unedited version of VP Pence delivering PPE to Wood, Woodbean Rehab Center, the clip from Jimmy Kennel, and sent viral by Matt McDermott and others is quite deceptive. Pence is clearly joking when he talks about empty boxes of the camera and shuts the van door right after the quip. Steve Krakauer, this clip Jimmy Kimmel and tweets for Democratic pollsters, is an absolute lie, but Pence bought in full boxes, then made a joke after about empty boxes, which he didn't carry in. This has 17,000 retweets and is a complete lie. Julio Rosa was good enough to compile screenshots of media troglodytes pushing this garbage. A small sampling of media people and Democrats pushing it. What can we say? Fake photo op. Journalist. Uh, Rupar. Andrew Bates. It's the same old people. You would be hard-pressed to find a better metaphor for the comically malicious incompetence of this failed government. This is a metaphor for so much of their botched response. Julia Rosas again. And that was just quote tweets. Here are some of the people who gave it straight up Retweets, Matt McDermott, Tommy Vitor, uh, Tom Nichols. It's the same thing. It's like a hundred. Here's some fake news about Trump Pence to spread around and give thousands of likes and retweets. The same group of clowns. Jimmy Kimmel deleted their tweet that had the deceptively edited video Pence delivering PPE. His tweet, a big box of nothing, delivering another box of nothing, Mike Pence. 
So do you think he, repol- he apologized? No. Jimmy Kimmel. It would appear that the VP was joking about carrying empty boxes from a stage publicity stunt. This full video reveals that he was carrying full boxes for a stage publicity stunt. My apologies. I know how clearly, dearly this administration values truth. So we just had ABC say he's not the consoler in chief. He's a piece of shit because he's not going to hospitals. Then when the vice president does it, it's just a publicity stunt. As you could tell, the world's going to get on him. Greg Price, Jimmy Kimmel should just stop calling himself a comedian, just start calling himself a Democratic strategist due to the fact that he's both not funny and wrong about everything. Curtis Hook, just take the loss, bro. But this isn't a good response. But I guess this is since your colleague on the left and liberal media allies will allow you to skate by. Speaking valuing truth, didn't you have the full video all along? Are you claiming no one on your staff noticed that Pence closed the van door right after you cut the clip? Sergi Hershami, Jimmy, you're not having a hard time taking the loss. Let me help you out. Just take the loss. Sam Valley, this is just credible and most mainstream news reporting today we had. Ted Cruz, so Jimmy Kimmel's, your video falsely accusing VP has 3.5 million views. Your text apology admitting your attack was entirely false has fewer than 5K likes. Typical. They, they... This, this is all they do. They they sit at their house, they still draw a paycheck, and they come up with just everything negative and fear porn. Yale professor promotes Trump to. And yeah, I could go on longer about the Kimmel, but why? It's just this is what they do. Everything's false. They know it's false, but they believe they're so much better than us that they don't have to even acknowledge when they fuck up or have a conscience to go. Do you know, the next time we have a pandemic, a lot of people are going to blow it off because we overdid this one. They're not thinking of that. And maybe it'll be a Democrat president, Jimmy Kimmel. And then all those people that'll die, well, then people are going to go, well, why did President so-and-so let him die? And then you're going to say, who the fuck could ever say such a horrible thing that a president's responsible for a pandemic? And then guys like me will rewind tapes. You people never think about the future. You just think of absolute power that you must grab right fucking now. And it's stupid. Yale professor promotes Trump death clocks as COVID-19 getting awfully close to genocide. Yeah, talk about hyperbole. A Yale epidemiologist says a mass death... Why can't I say that but not Ombudsman? I still can't say it. I guess, what the fuck is wrong with me? I, I just need to not ever say it again. That has occurred in the U.S. amid the coronavirus pandemic is awfully close to genocide. Yale University Assistant Professor of Epidemiology Greg Gonzalez tweeted, So what does it mean to let thousands die by the negligence, omission, failure to act in a legal sense under international law? Gonzalez then asked whether U.S. leaders could be held responsible under international law. Am I being serious here? What has happened to the U.S. purposely considering negligence, omission, failure act by our leaders? Can they be held responsible under international law? How many people will die this summer before election day, he added. What proportion of deaths will be among African Americans, Latino, and other people of color? This is getting awfully close to genocide by default. What else do you call mass death by public policy? Other one. 
deserves lots of blame for the catastrophe, real Donald Trump does, that COVID-19 is in the U.S., but it's also Speaker Pelosi's lack of vision, small bore solution, and preemptive surrender to the GOP makes things worse. If the Democrats won't fight real for fight now for real change, will they ever? Trump's delay of COVID-19 response cost American lives. These people just keep forgetting that Nancy Pelosi was formulating a bill to stop him from immigration, and then it blew up in New York. Everybody remembers that? Why don't you? You know, I, I wrote a tweet the other day. I was watching um, Bloodline or... Fuck, I don't know where I got the damn... It's, it's a famous quote that history is written by the winners. But it's not anymore. We are living history right now, and it's written by the media. And the media is biased, so they just rewrite history. You know, we've hit the litany of Obama didn't restock PPE during fucking anything. How many lives H1N1 killed, and we didn't do any of this stuff, and Obama was never blamed for it. And he was warned, but he didn't stockpile or prepare. We went through all that. That's... But now we're saying, just three months after Democrats were saying it was xenophobic and racist to not want to go to Chinatown to have dinner, and that stopping Chinese immigrants was xenophobic and formulating bills to stop it, to saying the president didn't act quick enough, even though he acted in January. Really. WAPO opinion writer Paul Waldman This is where we've come. Republicans now want us to embrace mass death. His piece concludes, Meanwhile, the idea that we're not going to have accept, that we're going to have to accept tens or hundreds of thousands more Americans dying has become distressingly common among Republicans. There are more important things than living, says Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, moving toward an utterly horrifying partisan divide in which Democrats want to contain the virus that we're able to get the economy back on its feet, while Republicans decide the only brave and manly thing to do is stop worrying about the virus and get back to normal immediately, no matter how many Americans it kills. In fact, we may, may soon reach a point where dismissing all those deaths is precisely, precisely how you show your loyalty to Trump. I'm sure there are plenty of Republicans who know what a moral disaster this is, but they decide that they have to follow Trump's lead and praise him for the great job he's doing, no matter how catastrophic it has actually been, and we haven't even seen the worst of it. The GOP will not rest until every last one of us is dead. Fusilli Spock. Well, in fairness, our first few attempts fell flat. Withdraw from Paris climate, we're all going to die. Move on net neutrality, we're all going to die. Tax cuts will make people die. <laughs> yeah. Joe Lockhart, because this was a theme this week. We're all going to die, and Republicans want you to die. For anyone who thinks real Donald Trump will leave when he loses is kidding himself, today confirms that he owns the DOJ and judiciary. He'll spill blood if he needs to. Don't worry, we're covering Flynn for the first time today. But that was his take. Here's Chuck Todd's take, because he's a good liberal. 
He, he's going to continue the what's the plan? Why are we going to let people die bullshit? Also chose not to wear a mask at a mask producing factory because the AP reported he believes it would send the message that he's more concerned with health than with the economy. Meanwhile, three top health officials have become a partial or full self-quarantine after two people working in the White House became infected, indicating just how hard it is to keep the virus out of even the most tested and secure workplaces in this country. All this on a week when the confirmed number of cases in the United States passed 1.3 million and the death toll is approaching 80,000 now. It is not partisan to say the administration's response to this coronavirus pandemic has been both confused and confusing, and it raises troubling questions. What's the plan for testing and contact tracing? Or does the federal government think that's just too hard to do without a breakthrough? What's the plan for maintaining social distancing as states reopen? What's the plan for making people feel confident about returning to work when even the White House can't keep the virus out? And what's the plan for treating this pandemic is our greatest national crisis since the Second World War. In other words, what's the plan? People want to come back. I think everybody in this room realizes we have to come back. Facing a pandemic that shows no signs of containment, the president is making it clear he is not willing to wait for a national decline in cases or deaths, instead pushing states to reopen now. There'll be more deaths, but the virus will pass. I used to say 65,000, and now I'm saying 80 or 90, and it goes up. We may be talking about 95,000 people ultimately. We may be talking about... Something more than that? The White House is sidelining scientists, delaying the CDC's attempts at issuing detailed guidelines, reportedly out of fear they were too stringent. And I respect the governors, and I've given them great discretion. I've given the leeway to the governors. Do you find the CDC protocols to be an impediment to opening up the country? Which protocols? The uh, the recommended guidelines that have been that have been. No, because I'm relying on the governors. The administration distanced itself from a draft federal government report predicting an uptick in new coronavirus cases and 3,000 deaths a day by June 1st. And the president announced the White House task force was off. We're now looking at a little bit of a different form. Before declaring it on again after public pushback. So we're keeping the task force uh, for. A period of time. And Mr. Trump is dismissing the consensus of public health experts that widespread testing is a necessary step to reopening businesses safely. In a way, by doing all of this testing, we make ourselves look bad. Repeating his claim that the virus will disappear on its own. I feel about vaccines like I feel about tests. This is going to go away without a vaccine. The president's skepticism of public health guidance is now being echoed by many of the governors who support him. These models have been so wrong from day one. Those models keep changing so really it's not they're not very good because we did so much more testing we have more cases we were going to the hot spot and we were testing so of course our positive cases are going to increase we have to be warriors we we can't keep our country closed down for years we can't keep our economy shut down forever but 68 percent of americans continue to say they are more concerned that state governments will lift restrictions too quickly than that they may take too long Still, with the unemployment rate now 14.7%, pressure is growing, and the president is accusing Democrats of slowing reopening to damage him politically. They think they're doing it because it'll hurt me the longer it takes to hurt me in the election, the longer it takes to open up. And joining me now are two infectious disease experts, Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota.
He's such a smug little cunt talking off himself. But, you know, once again, now, not only are they bashing him on that, they're bashing him on what we have, 20.5 million jobs were lost in April, 14.7 million or 14.7% unemployment. The WAPO comes out with opinion, the big ugly paradox hovering over Trump's latest deception. Greg Sargent, I feel like it's still not properly understood that the push to reopen society isn't really about saving the economy. It's it's actually about creating the illusion that Trump is saving the economy. I'm not going to read the article. I'm just going to remind you about how Obama created the best economy ever by and putting in the ACA and everybody going from full-time to part-time and getting $8 an hour jobs, because that was his economy. And Obama thought that was great, and you and the media padded the numbers. And when they were caught lying about the numbers during the Obama administration, you didn't call that a scandal or anything wrong. You just said it was an accident. Do you remember that? So now that he's doing the illusion of trying to fix the economy, because basically what they're saying is, regardless of what he does, this is his economy. wasn't the pandemic. It's him, because we want Biden. Another line this week, Kim Masters seems to think Trump and Fox News are politicizing the COVID health crisis, which is hilarious when it's literally been all CNN and MSNBC has been doing. Her tweet, do you want to know how much Trump and Fox News have politicized the health crisis? Today I was wearing a mask while walking my dog. Two guys approach, no mask, and they pass me. One asked, do you vote Democrat? And then the two men pulled out their mega hats, pounded their chests, and yelled, this is mega country. Woo-hoo, doggy, while shooting off their guns in the air. Yep. None of that's true. But Brian Seltzer did it, too. Seen in CVS today, woman walking in without a mask, an employee politely told her to require it. Annoyed, she put a mask over her mouth, but not noise. Nose. The employee told her how to wear a mask. She walked up and down the aisle, ranting about the rules. I thank the employee for it. If that behavior sounds familiar, it should. That's exactly what Chris Cuomo did on Easter. Everybody in the world. This is what happened Chris Cuomo on Easter, but Seltzer doesn't care. Brian Seltzer can't resist a dunk. The country, as we know it, has been destroyed because of one-way aisles. And he's dogging Todd Starnes, the Hill, Hampton bicyclist flies police support against Chris Cuomo. The whole world tweeted that to him. Don't you remember? Your network made Lazarus come back from the dead, but that happened. But they don't have a conscience. There's all these little stories because they read the New York Times, and we covered it last week, that that's the new culture war. So now lefties are running around shaming people for not having masks. Margaret Sullivan. Stay home then, stupid. WAPO Margaret Sullivan tries rallying her journo troops to keep America shut down. Trump wants America to normalize coronavirus deaths. It's the media's job not to play along. New for me about the dangerous rhetoric of reopening and citizen warriors. From our article, in short, 
They see an attempt to normalize the hideous toll of the coronavirus just as long as it came to accept 40,000 car crashes per year as normal. And they are afraid the media is only going to help Trump's case. The problem with normalizing deaths, they wrote in a recent essay from the Watson Institute of International Public Affairs at Brown University, where Lutz is an anthropology professor, is that it allows more deaths and makes it easier for horrors of virus deaths to fall off the broadcast news chiron to divert resources away from public health and for future politicians to treat the next pandemic even more glibly. She also tweeted, human lives aren't just numbers. What's good for Wall Street isn't necessarily what's good for most Americans. Yet the news media too often absorbs these concepts and spits them back at the public as if there was no alternatives. Stacy. But you will normalize the tens of thousands of deaths from despair, disease going untreated, and people being too scared to go to the hospital when they could have saved because of the panic porn you keep pushing. It's okay to die of anything but COVID. You gleefully say this knowingly, knowing staying locked down means more suicides, more beaten spouses and children, and Lord knows where else this shall lead. Grow up. Not everyone lives in New York, you dolt. Margaret. How many deaths are acceptable to you in order to continue the lockdowns? This study shows that the unemployment was associated with a substantiated increase of death among broad segments. Let me guess, you got paid to write that, didn't you, Margaret? Yes, she did. She got paid. They want it indefinitely. It's all they talk about. The data is important. The numbers are important. The death toll isn't something to just be uh, downplayed. It's not something we can hide from, even if it is gut-wrenching to hear about every day. It's like New Orleans floods every day. It's like the planes go into the towers every day. And to look away or act like it's now normal or acceptable is a disgrace to the victims. It's so disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these uh, revelations about the Russia probe and uh, the decision about Michael Flynn. They're treating the Michael Flynn story like it's a bigger deal than the deaths of 2,000 Americans a day. You know, we're seeing this on Fox and Friends and other shows. When, when the president called into Fox and Friends the other morning, Friday morning, right before the unemployment rate numbers came out, he talked about the Flynn case uh, for 20 minutes before he was asked about the pandemic. In what right mind is any scandal, any political scandal, any Department of Justice story more important to ask the president about than the pandemic that's raging? I, look, ultimately, that's about news judgment. It's about lack of judgment. Uh, but I find it befuddling. That some people are acting like this death toll is just normal and accepted and common and just just another day now. Imagine if one to two thousand Americans were dying a day from terror attacks. Imagine the president's response. All right. That's where we start. That's how I'm feeling. I'd love to know how you're feeling. Send me a note. I'm B-Stelter. The fundamental questions to me is what's going to be our relationship to government, the idea of government, after this. And, and we kind of look at it at three levels this week. There is a primordial American tradition going back to the founders of being freedom obsessed, even though we're a country founded on slavery and genocide, being freedom obsessed to the point that we are always so afraid of the government coming for us that we are blind to other types of threats, whether it's a virus, whether it's 
bank malfeasance or what have, climate change, what have you. Um, there's also a more, a, a more recent kind of 40-year version of this, which is the Reagan war on government, right? Government is the problem. That's not just an idea on the right. There's a hard version on the right. There's a small-c conservative militant version of it. But there's also it, – it has infected many people on the left in, in, in this passive sense that, yeah, I believe in government, but I would never go work there. Or I believe in government, but, you know, I kind of don't – like my taxes too high or I use, you know, trusts in the Cayman Islands. Um, so, and then there's the more recent Trump-era twist in this, which is – the war on government becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You undermine government, you undermine it, you undermine it. You put someone who can barely read a sentence in government, in, in the figure of Donald Trump, and it becomes true that government sucks because you've made it suck by telling everybody it sucks. And I think the most important thing that could come out of this is realizing that government is not the biggest threat to our liberty. It can be a threat to our liberty. But we're threatened by many, many things. And what government fundamentally does is protect us from a lot of those other oppressions that we in America are often quite blind to. Mike Barnacle has a question. Mike? You know, Anand, I have uh, a little more than a question. Listening to you and going around where I live near Boston nearly every day, uh, it is truly tragic that at this moment in our history, confronted with this crisis, this enormous life-threatening crisis, literally, that we are led by Donald Trump. The data, Seltzer, doesn't show that the rest of the country should be locked down. Tennessee is a great example. That's why the media won't talk about it. They kept Nashville, Memphis, Chattanooga, and Knoxville locked down. Everybody else went back to work. We've had three more cases in two weeks. Three. That's it. We have 155 cases for my county. That's it. That's a city of almost 180,000 people. It doesn't warrant it. But you want this for politics. And you definitely want to smooth over the next segment. So you do this. But we're going to go to a bumper. Um, what are we going to listen to? We're going to exit on uh, that piece of shit, Seth Meyers. He he brought out fucking... Jesus Christ. He, he went back to George Bush. Because it must have been a slow criticism week for him. So we're going to play that, and then you're going to hear a new report indicates China misled the world. Big thing happened this week is Dare Spiegel found that the WHO and China colluded on a phone call to suppress the numbers. It's big news everywhere but America. It's in German, so I can't fucking read it. Um, Did I keep the... uh, Somebody did an article on it. Yeah, here it is. Um, WHO denies... Coronavirus cover-up phone call with Xing Jinping and Dr. Tedros. The World Health Organization did a report that the Chinese president pressured WHO Director General Tedros to conceal the truth about the coronavirus outbreak in January phone call. Der Spiegel, a German news outlet, 
Published report this week that said Germany's Federal Intelligence Service, known as the Bund BND, I'm not saying that word, found that China urged the WHO to delay a global warning about the coronavirus outbreak. Specifically, Der Spiegel reported that BND determined Z and Tedros spoke by phone on January 21st. The Chinese leader asked WHO chief to hold back information about human to human transmission and delay a pandemic warning. The newspaper said BND estimates that China policy of concealing information about the coronavirus resulted in four to six lost weeks in the fight against the virus worldwide. WHO released a statement, Der Spiegel report on 2020 telephone conversation between the director and China are unfounded and untrue. Dr. Tedros and Z did not speak on the 21st. And nobody believes them because they did. And why would the Germans make this the fuck up? But our media, yeah, we're not covering that. So, Seth Meyers, new report, and I think this is ABC News that's doing this report, pretty sure. And then we'll have a bump, and you will come into Flynn. Yeah, this Flynn thing, oh, the libs are upset. Over the weekend, former President George W. Bush released a video message calling for unity amid the coronavirus pandemic, prompting some Democrats and many in the media to reminisce about his presidency and praise his tone compared to that of Donald Trump, which brings us to a segment we call, Hey! Hey, Democrats, that was a lovely video from what appears to be a very nice man, but George W. Bush is not your friend. He's still the guy who used fabricated evidence to drag us into an intractable war. I know you think of him now as the guy who gives out free candy and does weird portraits of Vladimir Putin, but those are red flags, too. If you go home with a guy and he says, would you like to come up to my boudoir to eat Twizzlers and look at my portraits of Gaddafi? Get out of there. And hey, you can criticize one bad president without praising another bad president. You've never seen a true crime documentary that says the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer ate his victims leads many to ask, were we too hard on Ted Bundy? Yes, things are bad now, but let's not forget, Bush gave us the Iraq War, torture, the financial collapse, the Katrina disaster, and of course, Poncho Gate. That was over three years ago, and they still haven't gotten him out. I will give him credit for one thing, though. Bush was covering his face long before it was cool. And hey, Democrats, the Trump presidency didn't just come out of nowhere. Bush paved the way for him. You know how we make fun of Trump for generally being dumb and incurious and incompetent and in the pocket of big corporations and the wealthy? That was Bush's thing, too. George W. Bush sucked at crawling so that Donald Trump could suck at walking. You remember how Trump got stuck in a hallway and then stood there like a tiger caught on a nature cam and stared directly into the lens? Bush did that first. Look at these two. They're the only two presidents who managed to turn a press conference into an escape room. Clue master, help us out. We need help, clue master. Look at that ping-ponging back and forth between C-minus impressions of presidents. If we can't remember when presidents do bad things, then more presidents are going to come along and do more bad things. Do you want to be back here in 8 or 12 years when the Republicans elect Mike Pence or Jeanine Pirro or a racist potato with googly eyes saying, you know what? I miss the civility and grace of Donald Trump. At least he had the decency and compassion to acknowledge when something was truly sad. Hey, Democrats, if you want to get out of this mess, then you shouldn't be lowering the bar for what you praise. You should be raising it. Otherwise, we'll just be trapped in this nightmare forever. Much like George W. Bush is still trapped in that poncho. This has been Hey. 
Next, a new report from U.S. intelligence finding that China misled the world about how bad the coronavirus outbreak was while also stockpiling face masks and other medical supplies. It comes after an earlier intelligence report that says China has never revealed their real numbers of infections and deaths. ABC's Rachel Scott has more. Tonight, tensions between the U.S. and China escalating. U.S. intelligence officials now accusing China of deception, saying they hid the growing nature of the coronavirus crisis. A report from the Department of Homeland Security obtained by ABC News says, quote, the Chinese government intentionally concealed the severity of COVID-19 in early January while it stockpiled medical supplies. The report claims they increased imports and decreased exports, choking off supplies to nations in dire need. Homeland Security analysis shows China sent 48% fewer gloves, face masks down 71%, and exported 45% fewer ventilators. While the report says this started in early January, on the 14th, the WHO released a tweet saying China sought no evidence of human-to-human transmission. U.S. intelligence officials say the Chinese government attempted to hide its actions by denying export restrictions and delaying its trade data. Just last week, President Trump attacked China for not doing more when the outbreak began. We are not happy with China. We are not happy with that whole situation because we believe it could have been stopped at the source. It could have been stopped quickly and it wouldn't have spread all over the world. And, Tom, Chinese officials are pushing back against allegations that they were slow to respond or covered up details about the outbreak. A spokesperson says America should stop shifting the blame and instead focus on ways to contain the virus in the U.S. Tom? Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. The Justice Department drops its case against President Trump's former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, who twice pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. The fallout this morning. We're going to go to the Department of Justice now, and that stunning headline, the President's former National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn, uh, his charges against him have been dropped by the Justice Department. He pleaded guilty twice for lying to the FBI about his conversations with Russia's ambassador. Our Chief Justice Correspondent, Pierre Thomas, is tracking the story. Good morning, Pierre. George, good morning. And what some are calling an extraordinary move, the Justice Department essentially blew up the first major prosecution by Special Counsel Bob Mueller. And the department appears to be saying that the FBI should never have interviewed Michael Flynn in the first place. 29 months after leaving this courthouse in shame, following pleading guilty to lying to the FBI, the Justice Department that convicted Michael Flynn now seeking to throw out the case. Then the president directed his fire at the FBI for an investigation into Russian interference that he believes should never have been started. They're dishonest, crooked people. They're scum, and I say it a lot. They're scum. They're human scum. But tonight, we've not heard from FBI officials who have been adamant that lying to them compromises the entire criminal justice system. Now to a stunning reversal by the Justice Department in the Russia investigation. Today, the attorney general told federal prosecutors to drop their case against Michael Flynn, President Trump's first national security advisor. Flynn had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI and was fired by the president. But after at first cooperating with the Mueller investigation, Flynn changed his tune and his lawyers, along with conservative media, lobbied for the case to be dropped. 
But late tonight, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe blasted the decision, saying it has nothing to do with the facts or the law, calling it pure politics designed to please the president. Lester? All right. Peter, thank you. Let's bring in our justice correspondent, Pete Williams. Now, Pete, what reason does the Justice Department give for wanting to drop this case? Well, it's only a crime if you lie to the FBI about something material, something central to an investigation. What the Justice Department says is by the time the FBI questioned Flynn, the agents had already concluded that he had nothing to do with Russian meddling. And since talking to the Russian ambassador wasn't a crime, the Justice Department says even if he lied to the FBI, those lies weren't material to any investigation. But this is now up to a judge. And tonight, former FBI Director James Comey says the Justice Department has lost its way. We begin tonight with Michael Flynn and his guilty plea, President Trump's former national security advisor, admitting he lied to the FBI, arriving with his wife at federal court in Washington, already processed and fingerprinted as part of his plea. With the deal, Flynn is now agreeing to cooperate with the special counsel. Could that mean Flynn will testify against the president? We begin with ABC's chief investigative correspondent, Brian Ross. He was once one of the president's closest advisors, one of his first major appointments. But today, as General Michael Flynn walked out of court in Washington, protesters chanted, lock him up. The special counsel got himself a three-star witness. Retired General Michael Flynn pleaded guilty today to lying to the FBI and agreed to cooperate with Robert Mueller. Mueller is investigating Russian interference in the U.S. election, whether anyone in the Trump campaign was involved, and any other crimes he may find along the way, including obstruction of justice. Flynn, the president's first national security advisor, was an advisor to the campaign. He could serve as a guide as investigators look into the Trump team's contacts with Russia before and after the election. If you're in the White House right now, about now, what are you thinking? How worried are you about Mike Flynn cooperating with Mueller? Well, you're extremely worried because now, of all the four people that, that, that uh, Bob Mueller has essentially turned here or, or uh, dropped some charges on, this is the one that actually works in the White House. This not only brings it into the White House, this brings Bob Mueller into the Trump family. Remember, Mike Flynn was probably the most frequent traveling companion of this president during the campaign that wasn't a paid staffer, that wasn't paid to be next to the president. The president went through three campaign managers, but Mike Flynn was there the entire time. The information that Mike Flynn may have observed or spoken with or knew about, it has to do with dots that are above his head. And when you start thinking about who's above Mike Flynn during the campaign, during the transition, there's only a few dots to connect. One is Jared Kushner, one is Donald Trump Jr., and one is the president. That's why this is so serious. It's a pretty dark place on social media. The very first comment after the story broke that I saw on Twitter was, Putin, if you're listening, high-five your asset. And there are Russian flags and Russian memes popping up. And now we see Bill Barr really just doing Donald Trump's dirty work. Now he has in his back pocket a little AG who saw to it to let Flynn go. It is, uh, I think, breathtaking dishonesty from the Justice Department. This is the collapse of the Justice Department. Now, Katyal, you caught my breath with the collapse of the Justice Department. This is a case where the fix was in. The fix is in. Not good for the rule of law. It's not good for morale. 
and it's not a fair outcome. This is an absolute injustice. I don't worry anyone who, who cares about the rule of law. Mike Flynn's lawyers have been engaged in a smear campaign. This is a political and incredibly destructive thing to the rule of law. It's all heading towards the president wiping the Mueller investigation uh, out of the history books, at least. And of course, it's some flashback to how excited they were, and now it all fell apart. This is Barack Obama's blue dress. Mark Levin slams Obama over revelation and declassified docs. The former president was probably privy to details on Michael Flynn's wiretapping calls. Newly declassified documents indicate the former Obama himself surprised his own deputy attorney general by revealing that he was aware of the details of a wiretap phone call of Flynn prior to Donald Trump taking office. Mark Levin says those documents are Obama's blue dress without the DNA on it and an apparent reference to evidence used for against Clinton. What are the details? Fox News reported, because nobody else is, President Obama was aware of the details of then-incoming National Security Advisor Flynn's intercepted December 2016 phone calls with then-Russian Ambassador Sergei Kaliskok, apparently surprising then-Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Uh, released Thursday as exhibits to the government's motion to dismiss the Flynn case. Obama unexpectedly intimate knowledge of the details of Flynn call, which the FBI said at this time were not criminal in nature, raised eyebrows because of his own history with Flynn and because top FBI officials secretly discussed whether the goal was to get Flynn fired when they interviewed him in the White House on January 24th. I put it out briefly. It's kind of letting this settle before I got into it. Levin... <clears throat> joined Fox News Hannity to discuss the revelations. He said, Sean, you know what this is? This is Barack Obama's blue dress. That's what it is, without DNA. We're supposed to believe that during the Obama administration, the FBI went rogue, the Department of Justice went rogue, the CAA went rogue, the DNA went, DNI went rogue, the NSC went rogue, and all those leaks in the newspaper, the Times, WAPO, that anybody can read and see, and Barack Obama didn't know anything? Poor Barack Obama. Poor Joe Biden. The fact of the matter is, They've never been asked. They've never been asked about any role they had, any knowledge they had. Those presidential briefing documents have never been made public. This is a massive cover-up of the greatest scandal in American history. Holding up a document again, Levin explained, this tells us that Obama knew, then quoted from the newly released document, that Obama started by saying that he had learned the information about Flynn in a conversation with Kaliski about the sanctions, and that Obama specified he did not want any additional information on the matter, but was seeking information on whether the White House should be treating Flynn any differently. Levin noted that treating Flynn differently has been interpreted by some to mean that the former president meant not to give Flynn intelligent information. I don't think it means that at all, Levin said. I think it means take out Flynn. Is anybody surprised? For fuck's sake, Hillary Clinton sent him emails from Clinton.gov, and he got to play, oh, I didn't know. Media asked, media asked him once, he said, I didn't know, and even though they had that information, they never said, but you got emails from her. That was common knowledge, that was WikiLeaks, I knew that. But do you think Chuck Todd asked, or uh, Jim Acosta, or anybody? No. They never asked. Jonathan Turley, 
Obama is being quoted on Flynn saying there's no precedent that anybody could find for somebody who has been charged with perjury just getting off scot-free. It is a curious statement, first and foremost. Flynn was not charged with perjury. Second, we know Obama discussed charging Flynn under the Logan Act, which has never been used successfully to convict anyone and is flagrantly unconstitutional. Third... This reaffirmed reports that Obama was personally invested in this effort. Finally, there is precedent. There is a specific rule allowing for the motion under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 48A. There are specific Supreme Court cases like Rinaldi versus United States addressing the standard for such dismissals. The Justice Department has dismissed cases in the past, including the Stevens case that was requested by Obama's own attorney, Eric Holder, for the same reason. Misconduct by prosecutors. It was done before the same judge, Judge Sullivan. How's that for precedence? Corey Gochesk and Obama was allegedly a constitutional law expert. The right wing. I'm sure anyone would love to hear from the guy who circumvented FISA, wiretapped and spied on reporters, targeted conservative nonprofits, and arrested YouTube filmmakers. Think about the rule of law. Barack Obama, the most corrupt president in U.S. history, commenting on the rule of law is tragically hilarious. Obama cannot hide from his malfeasance much longer. The legacy media doesn't control the narrative anymore, and that's so true. Next article, maybe it's just us, but it sounds like Obama administration has some serious explaining to do, especially with all these fancy newly released documents. Molly Hemingway did a kick-ass job of exposing Obama's sorry for the visual and his team for criminally leaking to the media accomplishes goals, a.k.a. take down Trump. Hemingway. Thanks to newly declassified and released government documents, I lay out a brief explanatory timeline of how officials criminally leaked to, co- the, to complaint, compliant excuse me, media to accomplish key Obama goals. A clear picture is emerging of the drastic steps that were taken to accomplish Obama's goal in following weeks and months. Shortly thereafter, high-level operatives began intensely leaking secretive information supporting a supposed Russian-Trump conspiracy theory. The incoming National Security Advisor was ambushed. The incoming Attorney General was forced to recuse himself from the oversight of the investigation of the Trump. At each major point in the operation, explosive media leaks were key strategy in the operation to take down Trump. Not only was the information on Russia not fully shared with the incoming Trump team, as Obama directs, the leaks and ambushes made by the transition, chaotic, scared quality individuals away from working in the administration, made effective governance almost impossible and materially damaged national security. When Comey was finally fired on May 9th, a part of the duplicitous regarding his handling of Russia collusion theory, he orchestrated the launch of a special counsel probe that continued his efforts for another two years. That probe ended with Mueller finding no evidence of any American colluding with Russia to steal the election, much less Trump or anyone connected to him. Anybody who didn't think Obama was in on it, are you fucking stoned? The guy was on everything. A reply, didn't Obama have a pretty steady stream of liberal reporters visiting the White House for off-record meetings with him? Yeah. They knew. They were part of it. CNN was key. The complicit media was CNN. That's why they ran for two years. Bombshell. I mean, I play it again, but I played it too much when it came out. It's a smoking gun. The walls are crumbling. The walls are crumbling. The walls are crumbling. Do we remember that? Court papers say that Sally Yates learned about the Flynn-Kaliski phone call from Obama himself. 
Byron York. From court papers, during transition, top Justice Department officials Sally Yates learned about the Flynn phone call from Obama himself. She was surprised. Yates, along with then-FBI Director James Kobe and John Brennan and the Director of National Intelligence James Kapper, were at the White House to brief members of the Obama administration on the classified intelligence community assessment on Russia activities in the election. President Obama was joined by National Security Advisor Rice and others from the National Security Council. After the briefing, Obama dismissed the group and asked Yates and Comey to stay behind. Obama started saying he learned of information about Flynn and his conversation with Kalisky about sanctions. Obama specified he did not want any additional information on the matter, but was seeking information and whether the White House should be treating Flynn any differently. Just me. Barack Obama appears to be knee-deep in this scandal. Obama knew. He knew it all. With a picture, POTUS wants to know everything we're doing. FBI agent Lisa Page, text. Only one official's been brought on. It was MSNBC. This is her reply. I mean, you actually said, I, I knew that there was more. Uh, I, I became very worried because not enough was coming out into the open. And I knew that there was more. And then you actually then said that's why... You have all the leaking to make sure we get it out. I mean, people are accusing you, Evelyn, of uh, admitting that there was surveillance, admitting that there was unmasking, and urging people, or, or at least saying that intelligence leaking, which could be a felony, is, is the way that it, it should get out. And you weren't even no. part of the government at, at that point. No, so... I was referring to the motivation because there had been a lot of discussion in the media about why are people leaking. And, and so I was trying to, but in a very shorthand fashion, explain at the very end of that quote that people were leaking because they were afraid of a cover-up. I do not, absolutely do not condone leaking. You know, uh, it's against the law. What I was doing was explaining, though, why people might be motivated to do that. You, and I did not have any insider information myself, but I knew based on what was coming out in the press <coughs> from these leaks and from official sources, the newspapers were quoting people, that my government probably has a pretty good sense of what the Russians did because we have good, we have good intelligence on Russia. Just to clarify, just put a fine point on it and we're going to move on. When you said if they found out how we knew what we knew, that, that wasn't a reference to the idea that you knew that there was surveillance uh, going on. No, uh, okay. no, it's sources and methods. It could be people, people, and people could get hurt if people were giving. I'm telling you that this thing is unbelievable. That this happened and it's just it's gone. The media just let it go. We went straight from Mueller into impeachment. I mean, I don't remember a time that there wasn't some bullshit leaking going on and there wasn't some spurless bullshit investigation that produced nothing. Because then we're in a pandemic. And all the while they're eroding the president because they didn't want him to be president and the media was complicit and they were leaking all this stuff and it was against the law to be leaking everything. And once again, long term, it's horrible. Because every new Republican administration going forward will have to fire everybody. We will be ill-prepared for anything because they won't have a choice. The Democrats have shown their technique is to have stay-behind operations, and they do a little fucking guerrilla tactics, tear down the credibility of the administration so that Democrats can get new investigations going. 
We know that the Democrats will impeach every fucking Republican president going forward. It doesn't matter. The media will be part of it. And I think it's on purpose. Their demographic thing didn't work. They thought demos would get them Democratic presidents forever. Well, that's not working, so we'll go with Plan B. Let's just make the American people so sick of Republican presidents because of all the investigations and bullshit that they only vote in Democrats. And then we get what we want. And as I said a couple years ago, or I don't know when I said it, but I said it on the show, going forward, as a, if you're a conservative or a non-prog or a normal, it is imperative, regardless of who the fucking candidate is, you have to make sure the Senate and the House of Representatives is Republican-led. Or enough Republicans to block stupid because we already saw what Democrats did the moment they could, took control. We had an impeachment. We had 85 stupid bills that have nothing to do but just handing out freebies and social justice shit. They're not serious people. You can say Republicans, all they care about is big business. But at least the economy got back on its feet. With Democrats, our economy will tank. We'll turn into a socialist fucking shithole because all they're going to do is do social justice, green new deals. You won't be able to drive your fucking car anymore. Eli Lake then takes it to the next thing, shift. Those interview transcripts make it clear why every Republican on the Intel Committee called for Adam Schiff to be, to resign. Eli Lake. But going through the interview transcripts that ODNI forced Adam Schiff to release, it's now clear why every Republican on the committee in 2019 called for his resignation. He knew the closed-door witnesses didn't support his innuendos and fakery on Russian collusion. Jay Masson, Schiff straight-up lied to every journalist and media outlet he spoke to for two years. You'd think they'd be a little pissed off that he did that and make them look foolish, but apparently not. Schiff somehow needed to pay for this... <clears throat> He's gotten away with it for too long. Adam Schiff will ever be staying on Congress, one of the most corrupt liars ever to walk the halls. I hope the Trump admin cuts his committee out of every shred of intelligence from now on. Schiff did, wasted all our time and money. Schiff did us a favor in disclosing how far Democrats will go to destroy a republic. Immunity should not protect traitors. And it goes on and on and on. Matthew Humphrey. This is my concern as well. They effectively neutralized the first three years of the Trump administration. This is especially true if you consider how they use lower-level judges to issue these injunctions that stall policies until higher courts eventually overrule, which happened almost every time. I don't understand why committing perjury to the highest lawmaking body in our country, intentionally lying to the citizens and working to enact coup for the floor of the House is protected. When did the rule come into play and how can it be eliminated? I think Shift is protected from a lawsuit by Trump for slander, but there's no way Shift is protected for treason. It's an abomination that he's still walking around free. It's excessively clear he fomented a coup by hiding the truth, lying relentlessly to the public. Why don't more Americans understand the magnitude of this? Because nobody's reporting it. It's like they're just brushing it off like it's no big deal. Do they even understand the time and money that was spent and the lives that were ruined? The corruption just scared the ever-living fuck out of people. The media is brushing it off because it goes against the narrative they've been pushing for four years. It's also an election year, and anything bad for Democrats is also bad for the mainstream media, which is one in the same. 
another, George Pashal. He not only defrauded the American people and he bought out media complex, helped. Remember when he said he had evidence proving collusion or the time he got pranked by a Ukrainian radio show trying to get naked pictures of Trump? Yeah, this dude is garbage. Undercover humor. Huber goes into the transcripts. Where is the transcript of HP's SCI interview of Bill Prytap on October 31st? Adam Schiff to Mary McCord on November 1st, 2017. A number of sat down with Mr. Prytap yesterday. Mr. Schiff, was Prytap intimately involved in the preparation of the FISA pertaining to Carter Page? McCord, I believe so. Bill Prysep taking talking not to HBCI, but to the Committee on the House Reform Oversight on June 5th, 2018. I am sometimes brought into conversations about whether a FISA warrant is necessary. I do not personally review, nor is it part of my job responsibly to personally review all of our FISA applications, but I'm generally aware of some of them. Now for the dynamite. Mr. Ship. And if Prysep have com- contemporaneous access to the FISA applications and a chance to review them, would his recollection be more fresh than your own about what would be in the FISA application? McCord, absolutely. Shift. If it was price up view that a substantial part of the FISA application, indeed more than half of the FISA application, was based on the source not involving Mr. Trump, would you have or Mr. Steele, would you have any re- reason to believe that that was incorrect? McCord, no. What's what that looks like is that Bill Priceup. Zork's boss sat down with Shift on October 31st and told him that more than half of the Carter Page FISA warrant was based on sources not involving Mr. Steele. That's a flat-out lie. Other than referencing to public open-source information and U.S. intel intelligence about Russian general, the Carter Page FISA application only uses nine identified sources. Steele, Steele primary subsource, Steele other subsource, Six of them, Stefan Halper. In other words, eight of the nine sources used in the FISA application to level allegation against Page are Steele and Steele's sources. The most important allegation that Page was part of the well-developed conspiracy of cooperation was literally cut and pasted from Steele. A price that really was sitting down for chats with Schiff and telling him over half the FISA wasn't based on steel sources, it sure looks like Priceup was himself a source. For Adam Schiff's memo claim that the FISA wasn't entirely based on steel in his dossier, were any Republicans at the sit-down Priceup? Is there a transcript? Did Priceup really misrepresent the FISA like Schiff implies? Last thing, when Devin Nunes was writing his memo about the FISA abuse, who was one of the only two officials the FBI appointed to review the Nunes memo before it was released? Bill Priceup. The other was Sally Moyer. And according to Cash Patel, Nunes' staffer and main author of the FISA memo, what did Priceup say about Nunes' memo that said the bulk of the FISA was actually based on steel information? There's nothing incorrect as quoted by Lee Smith. So which is it, Pricep? Was the bulk based on steel or less than half? We know all know it's that the bulk was based on steel. So why did you say the opposite to Schiff? Time to start acting exactly what Pricep was telling Congress and Adam Schiff in 2017. How do you think this was covered? Here's Schiff on MSNBC. 
Well, I think it's very important what you, what you say there. That brings us to something else I want to ask you about. We were covering this last night, as you mentioned. Uh, I've always pointed out in legal reporting that, that Bob Mueller was very careful. He didn't find or indict on a criminal conspiracy in the election. He didn't. Uh, he really followed every case as it went by the facts. But this isn't about redoing what he found lawfully. It is about taking convictions that were already won. Uh, and trying to reverse them. And I think that distinction is very important. The president made an admission that I want to play for you uh, that's really quite stunning. Uh, and I want to warn viewers, what you're about to hear is a sitting president of the United States basically say that he views the Justice Department the same way Nixon did in the manner that got him forced out of office. It's, it's really something, again, the pandemic, you may be focused on other things, understandably. But I want to play this for the congressman's response, the, the president here on Fox. If Bill Barr was your first attorney general, would there have been a Mueller probe and a Russia hoax? No, uh, there wouldn't be. Uh, he would have stopped it immediately. Uh, chairman Schiff, is that an incriminating admission? Uh, and what, if anything, does Congress do about it? Well, absolutely. Uh, what he's basically saying is Bill Barr uh, is doing all the dirty work that uh, the president could want. Any investigation would never go forward of Donald Trump under Bill Barr. There's all too much truth. No questions. Nothing. Nothing. The only other per soundbite I can find is Chuck Todd getting bitch slapped by a DOJ official. On Friday, on Fox and Friends, embracing the comparison with Richard Nixon as he gloated about the Michael Flynn news and denied involvement with Russia to tip the 2016 election. The panel is back. Kristen Welker, the president, is obsessed with undoing the Mueller report. And I, and he was he tweeted some 40-plus times this morning, it seems like, mostly about Michael Flynn. 40 plus times about Michael Flynn just this morning, Chuck. It underscores the fact that this is an issue that looms large for President Trump. It does come after he was gloating after the attorney general recommended that a judge drop the charges against Michael Flynn. It is worth noting that ultimately it's going to be up to that judge whether he actually decides to move forward with that. But it's opened the Justice Department up to all sorts of criticism yet again that the attorney general may yep. be working hand in hand with President Trump, something that Bill Barr has denied. But Chuck, here's what I think the critical issue is. The president is still very focused on this, and yet his aides and allies say, yeah. ultimately on election day, he's going to be judged on one issue and one issue alone, his response to the coronavirus crisis, Chuck. Uh, you brought up Bill Barr. Peggy Noonan, I want you to listen to this Bill Barr answer to a question about what will history say about this? Where do you hear this answer? Take a listen. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on, on <laughs> uh, who's writing the history. I was struck, Peggy, by the cynicism of the answer. It's a correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this is a... This is a political job. Um, well, my read on it was it was a more resigned and world-weary sort of look. We all know the facts uh, on this. Uh, I, I kind of... Um, <clears throat> 
I assume that Barr thinks he did the right thing. I mean, my read on this whole thing is that a fellow, General Flynn, who was early on new at a job, rather hapless, perhaps out of his depth, made a terrible mistake. Mm -hmm. He told a lie. An overexcited government agency or parts of a government agency essentially pushed him around after that. It became a mess. My feeling is, you know, this absorbed a lot of people, was very interesting for a long time, but we are in another point in history, baby. We've got a pandemic and an economic (laughs) collapse. So so whatever on that. Can I say something about uh, Trump? He compared himself this week to uh, Nixon. Last week it was Lincoln. I just sensed there 40 (laughs) tweets today. He kind of, I think, knows the fact that the original sin of his handling of the pandemic was the failure of testing, the laxness, Mm. the lack of focus, the lack of being able to make this work. I think he knows it'll haunt him politically, and I think it will haunt haunt the national experience uh, for some time uh, as we try to deal with this thing. So I think he's deflecting a bit. Hey, Richard Haas, um, how does this look to the rest of the world? Some of the most important things uh, in diplomacy, Chuck, are not what people who work for the State Department do. It's the example we set, whether it's the vibrance and creativity of our economy, the functioning of our, our political system, our ability to correct mistakes. So the rest of the world looks at this and they shake their head and they go, this is not the United States we thought we knew. And this has real implications. Not only does this weaken would-be Democrats in the world, uh, again, we, we're, we're hurting the cause of democracy, but increasingly other countries are saying, we're not going to put our eggs in America's basket. We've done that now for three quarters of a century. We've been well served by our closeness to the United States, but increasingly countries are going to go their own way. And that, to me, makes for a more dangerous world because we need collective answers to some of these challenges like disease or or like climate. And if people start taking matters into their own hands, this will be a world of much more proliferation, much more violence. A lot of what we've taken for granted Mm -hmm. over the last, what, decades, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid now that's been put at risk. Well, unfortunately, we ran out of time to talk about the world of Biden. That's part of Joe Biden's problem these days. When he does get talked about, it's only about... I think that's a key soundbite. That's what MTP has become. It is a package propaganda thing, arm, a package propaganda arm for the DNC. And the key thing I want to take from that is less of the banter, the DOJ. I mean, Chuck Todd's a fucking dolt. Kristen Welker, he's going to be judged on how he handled COVID. Because these people... They only have what they have in front of them right now. And for the media, what's in front of them is we have to link this to Trump. Because that's what Democrats are thinking. So if you're looking at it, if I would take myself out of a person who hates Democrats, isn't a Republican, hates the media, you would say, okay, if I was going to package something against Trump, I would say... The Russia collusion looked horrible. He was impeached. He's a liar. Then COVID. But that's almost admitting from a media person 
All of that doesn't mean anything because it never really stuck. That's admitting the impeachment was just a partisan affair that Democrats did to say they did it, but they know American people didn't eat it. And I know right now I can use this in election year. I can say the economy fell apart because Trump didn't handle the COVID virus right. But you have four years of what you said is a horrible president. All these investigations wrapped up in scandal. Wouldn't a Democrat go with that? But I think they know. It didn't stick. It was all partisan bullshit. I think they know the internal polls that they don't put out. That everything up until now makes the Democrats look really bad. And so they can run with this because it's fresh. It's in the American eyes. Economy fell apart. Who do we blame? We blame Trump because he didn't act quick enough. And that's why they don't put out Nancy Pelosi putting bills to stop fucking the ban on immigration. They don't run Nancy Pelosi saying this is xenophobic if you don't go to Chinatown. They don't run all the Blasio and fucking, fucking Cuomo statements in January. They just try to grab little things on Trump and make that what sticks to him. Personally, for me, as a voter, I vote for the whole package. Because I know in my heart, if we do elect Biden, all this goes away. That seems like a good thing, but our media goes away too. They'll cover nothing. He'll be able to do whatever the fuck he wants. We'll never have any insight on what he's doing. We'll have no oversight because it will deflect every investigation, every fucking special fucking convening a board to look at this. It'll all be bullshit. So they did for Obama the whole time. It's all partisan. So the media ignored all this because this is taking away from the narrative. NBC Politics, new House Judiciary Committee, Democrats right to DOJ Inspector General calling for an investigation into AG Barr's improper political interference into several ongoing criminal matters against Trump allies. To a normal person, they want them to investigate people investigating their improper shit. And in perfect form, as we segue into our bias section, MSNBC pulled out Russia is why Flynn's getting off. Yeah, no shit. So you'll hear Russia for Flynn, and then you'll hear a mojo soundbite as we go into our media bias section. And I want to bring in another big breaking story with Frank Figlusi, a former assistant director of the FBI's counterintelligence division, and turn to the stunning developments from the Justice Department overnight. The unprecedented move to drop the criminal case against convicted former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, even though he twice pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI during an interview at the White House shortly after he took that high office. The prosecutor on the case resigned from the case shortly before Attorney General's decision was announced by the U.S. Attorney here, who had been a former very close assistant at the Justice Department. Frank, uh, all of the implications here and the fact that he then called Vladimir Putin yesterday and according to the White House announcement of this and description of it, there was no mention of the Russia probe and the election probe, but the president himself discussed that. 
with Vladimir Putin and the fact that in his view now that the Russian hoax was was uh, dispelled they can get back to business talk to me about your counterintelligence I, I think, concerns here yeah I, I think that they're actually linked the the dismissal of charges uh, against Flynn and a conversation by the president with Vladimir Putin a stone-cold adversary of the United States on the very same day uh, that's not a coincidence. Look, the Flynn interview that, that is at issue here by the FBI was all about resolving the question of whether Mike Flynn was a counterintelligence threat to the nation as he entered into the national security advisor role. It was about figuring out how to neutralize, resolve, and counter that threat. So when the president gets on the phone with Vladimir Putin and the topic comes up in the same conversation, um, the, the concerns have not yet been resolved. Gene, your latest opinion piece in the Washington Post is entitled, quote, Democrats need to use Republicans playbook to make sure Trump loses. You write in part this. Democrats learn from your former Republican foes, pull heartstrings, wave the flag, and go straight for the jugular. Political warfare in this country has long been asymmetrical. Democrats tend to appeal to voters with arguments based on reason, fairness, and economic self-interest. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but defeating President Trump and his GOP enablers is too important to leave any weapons on the shelf. Democrats need to learn to use the tools that Republicans have long wielded with tremendous skill and success. Emotion, patriotism, and cultural affinity. Democrats need to drive an emotional wedge of their own between the morning Trump has given us and the new morning that will dawn when he is gone. And I, I just want you to clarify what you're saying, Gene, because there's a lot of tactics being used by Republicans that I don't think is good for anybody. Yeah, then, and that's true. Like lying, for example, and, right. um, and voter suppression. Exactly. Um, Defaming those, people, no, bullying the, them, are, being negligent. Right. Exactly. And, that, and that's that's part of the point those need to be pointed out and 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 um and you know denounced but um but it is true i believe that uh, republicans uh have over the years been very uh, much um more proficient uh and successful at using uh, emotion uh in uh, in politics and emotion is important uh and, and you know and in, in my the example that uh i used uh is the morning in america m o u r n i n n g in america ad that that the lincoln project came out with uh on monday i wish democrats would learn to use that uh would, would learn uh, that that using emotion in this way uh is is a good thing and and it's successful and it helps win elections and they need to win this my god that sounds like campaigning doesn't it, it telling them what to do ted cruz jumps on them but it's for a different subject Ted Cruz, when you're on a defensive for being dishonest and corrupt, perhaps it's best not to forward fraudulent Jimmy Kimmel stories that he admitted was false. Claiming to be a journalist, after all. Scarborough, Ted, when I make a mistake, I admit it. You remain mired in shame because you kowtowed to a man who called your wife ugly and said your daddy assassinated JFK. Me messing up a tweet or two will never erase the shame you carry every day of your life. Ted Cruz, Joe... 
You chased after Trump for two years like a teenage girl throwing her panties at the latest, latest boy band. Now you pretend to be this indignant point paragon of virtue, outraged at everything he says and does, all to get invited to D.C. cocktail parties and thrill the 13 people watching MSNBC. <laughs> God damn, that's good. Ben Shapiro! Shines a spotlight on on media and partisan selective outrage has impacted DeSantis versus Cuomo in the polls. Ben Shapiro, if you doubt the power of the press, recognize that Governor DeSantis handled COVID-19 in Florida in his excellent fashion, while Governor Andrew Cuomo handled nearly as badly as humanly possible. Yet DeSantis has dropped in polls and Cuomo's in the height of popularity. Ryan Savandra, Population Florida. 21,500,000. New York, 19,500,000. Coronavirus cases, Florida, 38,828. New York, 337,421. Deaths, Florida, 1,600. New York, 26,365. The mainstream media works for the Democratic Party, and they're evil. Rabid dog. To be fair, Florida has a governor, New York has a dictator. Another one, never underestimate the stupidity of vast majority of Americans. Lori Lightfoot decided she'd act just like almost every other Chicago mayor and be a competent tyrant. Please join the protest against this tyrant and her crime boss, Governor Pritzker, this Saturday at the Thompson Center. Control media, control the message, Cash Jackson said on this tweet thread. And she's right. It's the media. Their bias has made Cuomo, well, here's ABC News. Governor Cuomo marches here and trending all over Etsy. Yeah. That's what they can do. They can make a governor that has 350,000 fucking cases look like a rock star. And a government governor with a tenth of that look like a piece of shit. That's our media. Other non-surprising news and bias. CNN labeled Republican strategist Anna Navarro gave cash to Joe Biden. Update. Anna Navarro responded to the story on Twitter, deflecting once again from the conflict of interest problem and instead spewed a false accusation against the president. Navarro said, damn right I donated to Joe Biden. I want a president who believes in science and doesn't suggest America and just lights all. I remind you, the so-called Republican president donated to many Democrats, including Pelosi and Hillary, and guests at his wedding. Third one, hypocrites. Lead story. A fact-checking outlet run by former CNN employees determined that President Donald Trump did not tell people to inject themselves with disaffected to cure coronavirus. The fact-checker found the claim to be false accusation. Lead story piece on the matter was literally headlined, insufferable CNN labeled Republican strategist Ann Navarro continue to prove why she's the farthest thing for Republican strategists. She funded the campaign of presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. FEC records show that she contributed $250 in February. Three days before the recorded donation, Navarro said on Twitter, Oh Jesus, he's pure decency and empathy. I love Joe Biden. 
The Republican strategist loved Biden so much she was willing to throw cash at the campaign three days later. CNN continues to labor as a Republican strategist on her CNN profile, still attempting to prop up this suspected label even in the face of this potential conflict of interest. CNN, CNN host Jake Tapper asked Navarro in April about her personal preference for a Democratic presidential candidate. Navarro stated that she would vote for plot, potted cactus over Trump. Also confessing to Tapper, she would not be voting in the Democratic primary because she's still a registered Republican. But she did say she would enthusiastically support Biden among the candidates. Navarro also donated $250 to Martha McSally. This came as Navarro made an open call on Twitter the same day of the donation, blasting McSally for calling out CNN Maju Raju at a liberal hack. Navarro made an appeal to her followers to donate to Kelly's campaign. Um, join me in donating to Kelly on her donation record to Kelly. She listed CNN, ABC, and Telemundo as her employer. Navarro also donated money to Camelia Harris. In response reporting a Navarro donation to Harris, Navarro took to Twitter and attempted to deflect away from the conflict of interest. Oh no, I've been caught. I bought shirts from Camelia Harris' website to give young women a life so they know little girls of color can grow up to be president. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's CNN. There used to be rules against this kind of stuff. There isn't now. They all get to just donate to Democrats. And why is it a conflict of interest? Well, here's the problem. They're on air every day, shaping America's opinion. So in her case, she goes on the air, and then she goes to Twitter... And she gets people to donate to Democrats. It's pretty fucked up. The nation, NFL part of Trump re-election campaign, risking players' lives. That's an article. Or this is America Today is another article. They, they hate sports. God, they hate sports. Brian Seltzer, reliable sources to welcome founder of org that made anti-Trump ad with claim rated false misleading by PolitiFact at Facebook. The Lincoln Project releasing anti-Trump ad calling Morning in America has been called false. Twitchy team, Facebook and Politico call out Lincoln Project misleading Morning in America ad. Joe Scarborough vows to run it anyway. However, CNN Reliable Horses, Sources, which is regularly hosted sources as reliable as Michael and Vanny and Dan Rather, continue to live up to its title. Brian Seltzer, Lincoln Project, JWGOP, will join me on Sunday. That's a reliable source. Maju Raju from CNN. Trump has retweeted, quote tweeted, and tweeted himself 52 messages in an hour on this Mother's Day morning. A sampling. The world. Not all Karens are wimmer. women. <laughs> Another Twitter hall monitor. Senator John Cornyn. So when Manu, are you and the rest of the media going to cover the underlying scandal? That's CNN. They sit all day and watch Trump tweet. That, that's their job. And I, and I ask you, Will they do that when there's a Democrat as president? Probably, probably not. 
probably won't be doing any of this. Probably be running fluff pieces. So, um, here is a Fox Media panel slamming HuffPo for their irresponsible reporting, which is just, I mean, they're not a reporting agency. They're a Democratic front. And then a flashback to get us into our Biden, which is very short today, of how the liberal media used to handle scandals, because Joe Biden's been there uh, for a very long time. And I think it's a nice juxtaposition to how they handle Biden now. I think the problem with the media narratives is there's a supposition that you either are for saving lives or you're for saving jobs. When everybody, including Andrew Cuomo, says, you know, you can't keep the economy shut down forever. We now have 14.7 percent unemployment. Steve Mnuchin telling us Fox News Sunday that a real number could be as high as 25 percent. But I want to close with this headline in the left wing Huffington Post. Banner headline. Let's put it up on the screen, Ben. Um, Donald Trump doesn't care if you die from coronavirus. And it simply, the story simply said, well, he has trouble expressing empathy. Uh, that <laughs> seemed to me to be a classic case of Trump trauma. You know, it, it's just, this is the kind of coverage that I think is just ridiculous and doesn't help anybody. Of course, politicians don't want you to die. And when the, when it gets framed like this by the media, it's just irresponsible. I mean, imagine, you know, if, if right-wing entities were saying this uh, during previous health challenges that happened under the Obama administration. You should not have this kind of coverage. It's deeply irresponsible. And Capri, you know, it's governors, I, Democratic I and Republican, who are moving who are moving to open their states. You agree. But where's I didn't see any media criticism in this headline at all. It's just like, oh, well, another shot at the president because it's Trump. Hey, you know, I, look, I, I, what really disappoints me right now is in the middle of a global pandemic where we do have millions of Americans, di- millions of Americans out of work and thousands of Americans dying. People are petty, um, you know, and everyone is retreating to their respective ideological echo chambers. Now is not the time for that. And this kind of thing from the Huffington Post, whether you're left or right, it's not the time. Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden today faces a controversy Three weeks ago, at a debate at the Iowa State Fair, he used phrases identical to those delivered by British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. Biden seemed to be claiming Kinnock's vision and life as his own. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience, is the first in her family to ever go to college? Why is Janice the first woman in her family in a thousand generations? To be able to get the university. My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania and come up after 12 hours and play football. Eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. There was no platform upon which they could stand. The notion that every thought or notion or idea you'd have to go back and find and attribute to someone, I think is quite frankly, uh, ludicrous. The problem here is that Senator Biden told his audience he'd just been thinking about these things and he failed to give any credit at all to his famous British speechwriter. You know, I was thinking on the way over here. (laughs) Now that's a little too much because, as you point out, what's behind the words? What's there? And a lot of people, the rap on Biden has always been that it's just a surface. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, the only time I didn't, and all the times I've ever used it. But CBS News found a tape of a second instance. It reappeared in the New York Times with a new charge, 
that Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. It cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. Or the joy of their play. Biden gave Kennedy no credit. He has also quoted or paraphrased John Kennedy, Hubert Humphrey, and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock, all without credit. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake, but that it was unintentional. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. He was given an F. So ladies and gentlemen... I've been dumb. To the political community in Washington, it all seems of a piece. Plagiarism at law school, plagiarism on the stump. The great communicator. Strike that. The great imitator. You don't steal verbatim, uh, or when you do, as he did 99% of the time, you give credit. Biden's critics say he sells himself as a man whose words and visions can inspire a new generation in politics. But if the thoughts, phrases, and visions really belong to others... It's a form of false advertising. Is it a wise idea, though, to take something that personal, anyway, from another politician and try and appropriate it to your own campaign? I think it was a stupid thing to uh, appropriate uh, material that was really very personal that was someone else's. Most people didn't know who he was, you know, Joe Biden, Biden and now they're going to say, oh, yeah, he's the guy who plagiarized. That's a lot of people. First. Politically, that's devastating. These clips are devastating. He looks like a Joe Biden wind-up doll with somebody else's words coming out. If they're going to do things that are stupid as well as immoral, then they're probably too dumb to have the job of president. Voters are going to have to decide whether he was dishonest or dumb. Senator Joseph Biden may have more explaining to do. The new questions stem from taped remarks of Biden during an April campaign appearance in New Hampshire. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only needed 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Joe Biden was victimized by the truth. Bye-bye, Biden. He may not know it yet, but I think this is very going to be very difficult for him to recover. Is Joe Biden dead meat, yes or no? I think so. Bob? He's in terminal condition. Terminal? Eleanor? Yes, unless he comes in third in Iowa. Morton? <laughs> Dying. I say dead. We'll be right back. Look, tomorrow's Super Third Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. I'll tell you what, I'm rushing ahead, aren't I? We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the go, you know the you know the thing.
Tara Reid's comments are her first on-camera response to Joe Biden's strong denial of her assault allegation just a week ago with Mika Brzezinski on MSNBC. As the Biden campaign points out inconsistencies in Reid's account over the years. In her response to Biden's denial, Tara Reid emotionally describing what she says happened in the spring of 1993. She alleges Biden pushed her up against the wall of a Senate corridor and put his hand under her clothes. He had his hands um, under underneath my clothes, and um, it was it happened all at once. He pointed his finger at me and he said, "You're nothing to me. You're nothing." And I and I think. think that's the hardest thing. Biden has consistently denied Reid's claims, repeating his denial Thursday when asked about her new comments. The Biden campaign issuing a statement Thursday saying, every day more and more inconsistencies arise. The Biden campaign says no one from his Senate staff recalls ever hearing about such an incident, and the lawyers who vetted Biden to run for vice president say they found no misconduct of any kind. In an interview with Megyn Kelly, Tara Reid responded to former Vice President Joe Biden's denial that he sexually assaulted her in a Capitol Hill hallway in 1993. You should not be running on character for the President of the United States. You want him to withdraw? I wish he would. But he won't, but I wish he would. We have spoken with several acquaintances and her brother who have corroborated her story, but Reed's version and their version of events have evolved in interviews with other news outlets. In response, the Biden campaign said in a statement that as more news outlets speak to Reed and her associates, more and more... Not going to play her interview with Megyn Kelly, but that's them ignoring it. What we mostly had on the media this week is the following... An ex-Bernie person coming on, and Bill Maher, and what they're saying wouldn't really align with me, too. For 2016, Sanders campaign staffer Teslin Figaro and former advisor to Joe Biden, Mo Vella. Thank you both for being here this morning. Teslin, I'll start with you. Um, does, did the Democrat Party not handle, have they not handled this properly with Tara Reid? Well, you know, they certainly could have done better, but I would say to Tara, you know, welcome to what black people have been feeling since the 1950s and 60s and 70s and every decade uh, ever since, uh, feeling politically homeless. Uh, there has always been more people who are registered as an independent or uh, who do not go vote at all uh, than those that do. So this is just yet another example of how folks are continuing to be frustrated with a two-party system. It is a reason why we need uh, more open primaries, I believe, so that folks have to actually earn the vote all the way across the board. Uh, so for this, this has hit her uh, personally, but for people like me that come from communities like I do, uh, it didn't always take something to hit me personally, but to see those uh, around me who continue to suffer uh, through promises and hope and change that just did not happen in our community. So this is how we've been feeling all along. So welcome to the party, Tara. <laughs> uh, Mo, we don't, you know, we don't know who's, uh, what, what the truth is here. There's, there's accusations, there's denials. We get that. But the double standard's been glaring for a lot of people in the way Joe Biden was treated vis-a-vis the way some others have been treated. Do you think this hurts the Democrat Party to see someone, you know, Tara Reid voted for Obama twice, worked for Joe Biden, and now says, I can't be a part of this party? You know, first of all, good morning, Pete. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you uh, for having me. Um, no, I don't think it hurts the Democratic Party. Um, uh, you know, look, I hear Tez loud and clear 
there are a lot of people who feel uh, disenfranchised. There are a lot of Trump supporters who feel disenchanted right now, too, uh, because he's let them down. So, you know what? I think uh, what we have to do is we have a responsibility to listen. Anytime anybody feels maligned, a man or a woman, uh, you can be a Me Too supporter like I am. But, Pete, I'll tell you, there's one thing I learned in law school. There is no presumption of truth in the court of law, and there should but not so be if one. You're, if you're a Me Too supporter, do you, does that mean that you believe Tara Reid in this case? I do not believe Tara Reid in this case. And the reason why, Pete, is because there have been multiple inconsistencies, discrepancies, and suspicions. So did you believe story. the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh? Because there were plenty of suspicions and I, I, a lot I, of time. I, I, I did not have a presumption of truth against Miss Blasey, uh, with Miss Blasey Ford either, Pete. Okay. You know me, I'm consistent and I don't believe in double standards. You have to prove your allegations just like you do in the court of law and the court of humanity. I appreciate so that. I- we listen, we listen to the facts, but the truth matters and she has, Miss Reed has not convinced me that she's telling the truth. I happen to know Joe Biden, as you know. He's a man of tremendous character and integrity. I believe him. He did this did not happen. Well, I was his HR. Director. Well, the, listen, the voters will the voters will have a chance to decide that as well. And we're we're out of time, which is unfortunate because there's another poll out that says that 40 percent of Democrats under the age of 45 say the party should pick a different nominee. I, I, we're out of time. But Ted's real quick. What does that say about the state of Joe Biden's nomination right now? It says that uh, Joe Biden has one or two choices, either try to add more of a progressive, uh, more progressive platform uh, with this existing task force that they're putting together or to try to convince Trump voters. And I don't think he'll get much. He'll get far with the latter. Uh, there's a misconception that all young voters are 18 and over. And that's just not the truth. I'm 45 and younger. I don't believe in every progressive platform, but I certainly feel like I have not uh, been heard. And so when we talk about I wish we had more time so I could go into the presumption mm-hmm. of innocence, because uh, right now, as far as black folks are concerned, uh, we have never had the presumption of innocence. Amard uh, Arbery was just shot down in Georgia and did not have an opportunity to talk about where he was innocent or not. So this pick and choose, me too, one minute I believe it, the next minute I don't, uh, I'm just really over it. And, and it once again shows a hypocrisy uh, within both parties, to be quite honest. Tessin, we're going to cover that story in the program later as well. And, and listen, you are definitely young. Okay, no doubt about that. <laughs> Tesla, thank you very much, Zoe. Appreciate you being on the program today. Great. To- Just because Fox News is obsessed with the Biden sex assault allegations, it doesn't mean the rest of us have to be. You may have noticed that Donald Trump has one move accuse you of the very thing he's guilty of. Puppet, no puppet, you're the puppet. Remember that one? Okay, well, now it's Joe Biden grabs women by the pussy. Not that he even needs to say it. The liberal media and liberal party is doing it for him. Exactly what Republicans want. For us to go down the rabbit hole of Joe Biden's sex monster. So now everybody's investigating. But there is no fact-finding here. It's a he said, she said, she said something else entirely. Yes, Biden's accuser, Tara Reid has been contradicted by multiple people, most importantly, Tara Reid. This last year, she said of Biden, I wasn't scared of him that he was going to take me in a room or anything. It wasn't that kind of vibe. She, she suggested she had filed a sex harassment report. Now she says she didn't. She says she was fired by Biden's office, but in deleted posts, she said she left because, quote, 
I love Russia with all my heart. President Putin scares the power elite in America because he is a compassionate, caring, visionary leader. His obvious reverence for women, children, and animals, and his ability with sports is intoxicating to American women. What? What the fuck? We're letting this person change the subject from Donald Trump, lethal incompetent, to Joe Biden, sex monster? She literally wrote a love letter to the murderer trying to keep Biden from the White House. Yet the New York Times is calling for the DNC to establish a truth panel on this. Truth panel, huh? Which part? Putin's reverence for animals or how intoxicating he is to women? And Democrats are coalescing around the position that this accusation must be thoroughly vetted for the party to keep its credibility. Well, you know, credibility certainly is a problem for the party on this issue, mostly because they woke themselves into a corner when they adopted Believe Women as their slogan, when it should always have been Take Accusations Seriously. Kirsten Gillibrand said of the Al Franken allegations, the women who came forward felt it was sexual harassment, so it was. That was never tenable, because believing everything doesn't make you noble, it makes you gullible, and leaves us with a world where Republicans don't care about this stuff, so it's just a unilateral weapon that is used only against Democrats. Trump rides the bus with Billy Bush, we throw Al Franken under it. Jennifer Palmieri got a article at Vanity Fair. Friends, this was a tough one to write. A lot for me to face, but bottom line is I believe Joe Biden. And yes, it is convenient for me to do so, but that does not make him guilty. Oh, we're just spinning from an art, from the article. It weighs on me that other than my work to defeat Donald Trump, if there were a side to choose in litigating a question about inappropriate sexual behavior, my work has put me on the side of the man. I've never taken it without a merit, and I've always argued for those I felt deserved to be defended. But as I once again choose to side with a man with the power, I admit that my own track record makes me uncomfortable. I know some will criticize me for a decision in this case. That's their prerogative. In the end, the question of whom we believe is one we will answer for ourselves. I also know there's no way to divorce my conviction that Reed's allegation is false. The fact that, as someone who hopes Biden will become the next president, it's a convenient position. But just as the inconsistencies in Reed's story and our opposition to Biden's campaign on the own don't render story false biden standing as a major political figure my belief in his campaign don't make him guilty stanford professor michelle dauber taking palmary to the proverbial woodshed tara reed seemingly told everyone she ever met in the mid-90s that biden sexually harassed her it's turned her up turned up everyone from court documents to her neighbor's front porch what does she need a delorean to take her back there there's nothing complex about this, Jennifer Palmieri. Either you have principles or you don't. If you do, then let's have an independent investigation look at the evidence incredibly objectively. I guess you think spreading FUD about complexities make you look less terrible. There's a lot of not very hidden class bias in the attacks on Reed and the effort to spew about complexity. She's not from Palo Alto or Georgetown. She has financial problems. She's not camera ready with a stylist. She's a regular person who's allegedly sexual harassed. 
I remember the cruel jokes and comments about the parents of Bill Clinton's victim, particularly the Lewinsky. I remember Gloria Steinem and other women being rushed to the barricades to stand by their man. Don't you lecture women about Joe Biden's decade-long record working to protect a woman from violence and abuse. You quizzling, a real feminist puts her hand to the plow and doesn't take it off until the job is done. Now here's where it gets really good. If your reasoning and logic strategy was any good at all, Trump wouldn't even be president. Yeah. They're just going to ignore it all. And as we go out to a bump and into news and social media nuggets, another NBC employee came forward and said she was sexually harassed. You liberals, you really got a problem. You protect men that are your allies, and maybe you should stop him. President Trump, for one, praised the move. NBC, to me, is very dishonest news, and that's why they fired Andy Lack, I guess. You have to ask them, but Andy Lack was a hack, and they fired him. Variety has confirmed that New York's attorney general has been conducting an investigation of possible sexual misconduct, retaliation, and gender discrimination at NBC News, including Lack's role. Joining us now from Houston, Emily Miller, veteran journalist and political analyst who once worked for NBC News. And Emily, um, will Lack's tenure forever be defined by the botching of the Harvey Weinstein story and the handling of the allegations against Matt Lauer? Absolutely. I mean, Andy Lack's legacy, and he's been in the... TV business for, I don't know, 40 years or so, is going to be the fact that he killed that story, the Ronan Farrow story on Harvey Weinstein. And what's so perfect about justice in this is it's the state's attorney office that prosecuted and went after Weinstein that is now going after NBC News and Comcast, or as President Trump says, Comcast. Right, right. Technically, the state attorney general. When you worked at NBC News in the 1990s and you were in your 20s, Did you have any experience with sexual harassment? Uh, I did. I did. I was very young. I worked there. Um, I worked at NBC Network from the age of 21 to 23, 24. And I did did suffer from sexual harassment and um, from some older men and men in power. Um, And um, they made it very clear some of the exchanges that would have to happen in order for me to be promoted there. Um, and I was so young, so naive. I didn't even really understand what was going on. I, I knew that I had to leave. So um, in order to get promoted at NBC. Or, and well, let me jump um, in. Were, so I went any to of these, were any of these Were any of these interactions physical? Yes, one was. Now, I know you don't want to mention um, I, any names, but do, but do yeah, these I don't, men, uh, Harry, some I don't, of them still, but, they, do they, but do they still work at NBC News? Yes, they all do. Um, everybody, everything that happened to me um, still works there. And um, I, I just, I'm not in the position and not interested in, in being public and getting into a public debate over this. What concerns me is um, I, I have offered, as a state's attorney, 
um, was, has been talking to the New York State attorney, has been talking to a lot mm-hmm. of current and former NBC staffers. Um, and I was asked through a second, through a different, through somebody, if I would be willing to cooperate. Mm-hmm. And I said, of course, I'm always willing to cooperate with law enforcement. Um, and I do have evidence of, of the ex- somewhat, I would say, exchanges that were asked of me um, when I was really young. And, um, you know, and I, I would fully cooperate, but I haven't. Um, they haven't called me, but I would, of course. But what's really concerning here is that NBC, Comcast, which is a publicly traded company, has been just getting rid of these bad guys, like Matt Lauer, um, who's, you know, locking his door and forcing women to have sex with him. And and then Chris Matthews, who the, the I know the New York State's attorney was it was their primary so- person they were going after. So instead of dealing with this, NBC just fires Chris Matthews. Then they go on and fire Andy Lack, who's the head of their whole NBC whole organization, the top executive. He's got his own issues, and he's been covering up for a lot of things that are going on in there. And as you also mentioned, stopping stories like the Harvey Weinstein disgusting story. So instead, of NBC, which is supposedly a news organization. Instead of actually investigating itself, having an outside law firm investigate it, which is how every other network that's been caught up in this whole Me Too system has worked, is that they've had outside yeah. investigators look at what at these but accusations. NBC has refused. Right. Just to clarify, well, NBC I mean, said they're uh, investigating uh, themselves. Yes. Just to clarify, uh, it is true that recently MSNBC's Chris Matthews was fired. He's never been accused of any kind of assault. He's certainly been accused of making inappropriate comments to women. Uh, and, and just to go back for a moment to your experience, it was a long time ago, but was this really troubling to you as a young woman just getting into the television business? Um, I, frankly, I didn't know better. I can't say this is, I mean, I've talked about it openly with people over the years because it was more of a, Seriously? Like, you're my dad's age kind of situation. Like, I, I mean, I, I frankly remember the last time when I actually walked out of Rockefeller Center, which is where NBC News is based in New York. Mm. I walked out after um, being propositioned and for a promotion. And I literally walked out, walked out of the building, went to my college roommate's um, apartment and told her what happened. I was like, do you think what I think is happening is happening? Hmm. Um, and she's like, I don't know. Call your mom. I mean, that's how young I was. So I called my yeah. mom and she verified. And so it, it was it was just more of a shocking situation. And I've never been I've never right. been secret about it in my life because it was just right. a wake up call. to I've adult got 10 life. seconds. I've got 10 seconds. Do you believe that some of that culture still exists today at NBC News? I think that NBC News has to have an outside investigator or the state's attorney is going to shut down both Comcast and NBC and file charges because these executives have got to go and they've got to clean house and get good people in there instead of all these bad actors. All right. Right now it's a civil investigation. Emily Miller, we appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. Were you trying to get crazy with this See, Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
Betty, don't come in here. Yes, I'm her sister. She passed away. No, I just need four days of electricity while I pack up her house. The other way. The other way. Is my son bothering you? No. Well, he's not supposed to talk to strangers, so. Good idea. All right, folks. Here's your first. You were supposed to pick me up, remember? Christ, they still let you drive? Oh, come on. <laughs> this is Brandon, and this is Reese. Say hi to Cody. Hi, Cody. Where are you? Where away? Where? Disneyland. Okay. Tell Cody I say hi. Oh. My. I just don't know. After all these years, I never got a chance to look. Who's Vera? My wife. Is she dead? Yep. She did a lot of little things I never noticed until she was gone. Help! People things, you know, keeping in touch with people. These yours? My neighbors. She knew everybody's birthday. You know what I wish? I wish we could do that all over again. We'd be a little more deliberate. Uh, take our time. Take a good look at stuff. That is a new gay series. It's called Driveways. Uh, I... Andrew On's Driveways is bomb for a racist, homophobic world. That was the title from The Advocate. Yeah, we need more of that. We really do. TV Channel declares gay characters are really necessary. Somebody came up with a perfect meme mocking how Netflix unnecessarily wedges its LGBT characters in all their shows, and Netflix got mad. A Twitter user posted an image on Tuesday morning of Patrick of SpongeBob SquarePants trying to insert a huge pumpkin into a small funnel into SpongeBob's mouth with a text indicating that Patrick stood for Netflix and the pumpkin unnecessary gear character and SpongeBob any new series. But Netflix's official Twitter account objected Wednesday night. They retweeted the meme with a comment, Sorry you have to yet to realize that every gay person is necessary. Notice how they try to twist it around to say the meme says gay people are unnecessary. Every human being possesses inherent dignity and deserves a right to life, but we're talking about fictional television series, and the point holds true. Almost every single show has a token gay character randomly inserted because the SJW scream, Representation Matters. Our MRC Culture on TV blog, we don't even keep track of regular adult gay characters anymore. We only focus on when the agenda targets children, teens, and is over the top. Which is pretty much what I do on this show. That's all I look at. 
Freeform Twitter even said, woo, whack opinions like this are the reason gay characters are overly necessary. Keep it up, Netflix, with the gift of a Simpson gay pride parade. Overly necessary, as if they need to overcompensate. Reminds me of the creator of How to Get Away with Murder, Clint, declaring, and to me, writing the gay characterization and writing some real gay sex into a network show is the right, is to right the wrong of all the straight sex that you see on TV. Amazon Prime Video replied with SpongeBob GIF that shows him making a rainbow with his hands. AMC The Walking Dead Twitter replied. Twitter TV replied. FX Dre Show Pose replied. Gay Publication Out Magazine logo. Other Netflix Twitter accounts. Glad. 10% of LGBT inclusion among broadcast series characters on primetime scripted series. That's over double the 4% of the population they claim themselves. These sexualities are already overrepresented on television, but glad demands representation to 20% to 2025. No wonder Americans widely overestimate the number of LGBT people who are gay. And there's a new show coming out, Outlander's done, and me and the wife said we'll just fast forward through the gay shit. Because just the promo was just gay. Lesbian girl, fucking a lot. And then the plot of the show. I would say 25% of the promo was fucking. Lesbian fucking. So, yeah. It's over the fucking top, and you know it. And the problem is, we all get sick of your bullshit. Here's one. Justin Trudeau. How more liberal can you get? Blue check PhD of women's studies shames Trudeau for referencing Mother's Day. Because, because it erases LGBTQ families. Dr. Jill Andrew, Prime Minister Trudeau, just a reminder, not all families are heterosexual. So in referencing Mother's Day to children during your COVID-19 presser, please speak of parents instead of exclusive mom and dad references that erase LGBTQ family. And the whole world goes, Parents' Day is July 26th. That's a different day. Charlotte Clymer, I see all you trannies like me, and I know Mother's Day is very painful, but no, I see you, and everybody goes, oh, thank you for seeing me, I hate my mom and dad, because they just couldn't understand why I dress like this, and most parents don't, only liberal ones go on the edge and go, I'm going to take my seven-year-old, chop his cock off, and make him a girl, Harvard pushes narrative LGBT community as at greater risk of stress during the pandemic. These two groups are fighting each other. You got the everything is racist group and the gay group. We're the victims. No, no. Everybody's a victim on this. I'm so sorry. You're either having loved ones get it, you're getting it yourself, or you're locked in your fucking house. You don't get special victimhood. But they can't handle that. They're losing their shit because they lost their victim status. So we have this kind of shit. There's a little question about the coronavirus pandemic has caused immense stress and hardship for millions of people around the world. However, Harvard Medical School is pushing the narrative that gay community is somehow more impacted by the crisis. Harvard Health Pop blog published an entry by Professor Sabra Katz-Weiss, we've covered it before, outlined the new forms of stress for the LGBT community during this time. The entry titled COVID-19 and the Gay Community, which they did the acronym of 85 letters, rising to unique challenges, outlined the reasons that gay and transgender individuals supposedly face unique challenges. Katz-Weiss works as the assistant professor in adolescent young adult medicine at Boston Children. She's one of the people making cocks into canoes. 
Darn Corridor blog, Case Weitz is advocating for workplace climate, medical education, and patient care reform for gay individuals. According to Katzweiss, among the new forms of added stress for gay individuals includes loss of work and income, school closures, and worries about seeking care for COVID-19 systems. I'm not going to read anymore. Because everybody's worrying about that. So why are they different? Oh, because they're gay. And they're special. Look at me, mommy. I want a gold star. Advocate. The most vulnerable people in the world right now. Another one that caused website. Transgender and third gender people in impoverished nations like Bangladesh are alone and adrift. Then you got the advocate. And this is where we get our transgender genocide lie when literally 18 vets a day are dying. Car bodies found a police search for a missing female couple. Police in Wilmington, North Carolina, found a car belonging to a missing female couple with two bodies inside. But so far, they've not said if the deceased women are indeed the missing women. Police money discovered a gray Dodge Dart registered to Paige Escalera. She and her fiancé, Stephanie Mayorga, 27, last seen on April 15th. And we're just covering this because we want to show you gay people are in danger. From the same danger all of us are. FDA blood policy still frames HIV as a gay sickness. I would read the article, but I won't. The highest population of HIV having people is gay people. That's why they came up with PrEP. So, yeah, maybe if you did protected sex, it wouldn't be a problem. But you don't. So shut your fucking cock trap. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Can I ask you about race, though? What role you think race plays in this? Because you don't talk much about it in the piece. I think it plays a a large role. I think it's one that people tend to wrap in the language of economic anxiety. But at the core of it is a kind of racial anxiety about it. I mean, Chris Shays, who was the congressman from that area for years and years and years. And in many ways, he's now too liberal for that area. He gets called a rhino, a Republican in name only. He said to me in this piece that he thinks a lot of people in the area and, and broadly Republicans actually share Donald Trump's views on immigration, which is to say that they are unnerved by the idea of people coming into the country who don't look like them. And they don't like to say it because it's an ugly thing to say and they don't want to be associated with it. And so they prefer to use other language or they don't say anything publicly. But that's his. And I think he has a pretty astute sense of it. I, I, you know, I would find that when I talk to people about it, people would recoil from the idea that they were acting out of a racist idea they, they would say that that's not me that's not who i am and they would put it in other terms but in the end it's the vote it's how you vote if you vote for somebody mm-hmm. who is enacting a policy that is explicitly demonstrably um uh measurably harming people of color and people who are coming in from outside the country well then you're signaling your support for that person whether or not you describe yourself that way at the dinner table and so I think it's actually a version of what we see in a lot of the country, which is 
sometimes people will put it into economic terms, but the issues uh, run to race below that. As black journalists especially, we can get caught up in the white gates. You're in these newsrooms. You know your audience may be majority white, so it might skew the way you're telling these stories. That, that woman who looks like my mother and my, or my aunt or my grandmother, it matters um, that, that they know I got it right. So into America, you are traveling across the country. What is your experience as a black man, you know, um, traveling across America in a time of crisis? Besides the limitations on where we can actually travel, um, it's not much different than traveling as a black journalist during the quote-unquote best of times. Um, there, There's a lot of responsibility as, as a black journalist, and especially in the tradition that I, that I believe I walk in. You know, I started in the black press, the field of the tribute of Philly, telling our stories and telling the stories of those who are marginalized and isolated has always been very important for me. But that means going to places that a lot of outlets, a lot of journalists don't care to go, aren't willing to go, uh, don't have the desire to go. And so right now, more than ever, we need journalists in the tradition that are shining light in dark places, uh, those who have had to face serious adversity in our skin. You wrote a piece in the Times that you mentioned almost what seemed like a benefit of being a black journalist uh, reporting in black communities. And there was this sort of acceptance um, and this willingness that, like, you know, let me tell you my story. I, I first felt that kind of connection and that um, it felt like home in a lot of ways telling these stories, even the tough stories, in Philly um, as a police and crime reporter. And so oftentimes I would end up in these places where a young man or young woman has just been killed and as a journalist you have to find a way to tell this story and so you're walking up on doorsteps you're popping up at the hospital in places where people are at their very worst and at their lowest right they're in deep pain and there were moments there when i both in the victim and the survivors that i saw myself or people who look like me or my family my, my mother my uncles my aunts but there was a feeling of that you understand Right, and I've tried to uphold that through my journalism. And sometimes our journalism is the very last uh, remnant of life as it was lived, or death that was as it was lived. And so that connection to the community has always helped um, because one, I get access. I've always gotten access where some other journalists might not get that access. Um, but it's also a responsibility. And for me, if I'm not telling the people's story, what am I doing? I will tell a compelling story, whether it's from black, brown, red, or yellow. But there is a special connection to my community. And given the history in America, all that we've been through as a, as a people, um, and other marginalized people have been through, and working class people have been through, and poor people have been through in this country, it feels to me as, let me hold your hand and tell you this story about this place for these people. Joining me now is a reporter who's been here for MSNBC.com, Tremaine Lee, who was here last night. Um, Tremaine, how would you describe what we're well, seeing here? first of all, what a difference a day makes. Uh, one person down here described it as freedom. This is what freedom looks like. Uh, what they've seen the last few days they felt was not freedom. I think as a black journalist, I think you you, you certainly, and I'll speak for myself, have taken a lot of the weight. I've seen, um, you know, the violence committed against our communities, um, whether it's the big cases of the Mike Browns or Eric Garners, um, or Trayvon Martins of, of the world, or it's family members, but I think it's not unlike the weight that black people carry, whether you're a journalist or a contractor or a bus driver. As, as journalists, sometimes we come up with this idea of objectivity, where it's just two sides. 
If you have a, a Democrat say something, then you have a Republican say something. Just quote both sides, and that's objectivity. That gives us the illusion of being arm's length with stories and issues. We are all arriving at these moments with who we are, right? And how we've experienced the world and how the world experiences us. My agenda is honesty. It is the truth. If we're reporting on issues uh, that impact the black community in particular, can we dance around slavery? Can we dance around segregation? Can we dance around state-sanctioned violence or all the abstract violence of poverty and lack of access to health care or education? Can we dance around those things in the name of objectivity and not appearing like we have some agenda? Or is the agenda the truth? That's an economic injustice, an environmental injustice, and a racial injustice. And then when you add health overlaid on top, it's a health injustice. So let's talk about Cancer Alley and um, your most recent episode. So when we think about um, environmental justice and environmental racism and COVID-19, there is a clear overlap. Going back to that, that notion that somehow those with hypertension and, and other um, health ailments did it to themselves, oftentimes people forget about the environment and race. So when you think about Cancer Alley, Cancer Alley is an 85-mile stretch between New Orleans and Baton Rouge that snakes along the Mississippi River. In that space, in Cancer Alley, there are over 200 refineries and petrochemical plants. The closer you get to the plants, the blacker it becomes. The closer you get to the plants, the more impoverished these communities are. Folks have been there for generations because many of these plants are situated on land that used to be plantation land. So when you talk about these fence line communities, those folks are coming up with mysterious cancers. They're dying young. This is where we enter the conversation of COVID-19. In Louisiana, 32% of the population is black, but black folks represent 70% of the COVID-19 deaths. And you wonder why. Folks are vulnerable because they have all these ailments and lung issues and cancers related to what they've been drinking in the water and what they've been breathing. Is there hope for black people in Cancer Alley in the midst of this crisis? I, I think the hope in speaking to folks down there and speaking to um, you know folks who have a, a deep relationship with this space is that the fight continues, that the struggle continues. This is the same space in 1811 where 500 enslaved people set up arms in the largest rebellion in U.S. history, right? It was unsuccessful, clearly, and, and slavery would go on for another 50 years in that space. But these are communities who have longed for it. There's a tradition. They're connected to the ground in so many ways. So I think if there is hope at all, it's that folks are fighting back. So you say here, there's this exhausting dance between the Black death and Black scribe, and it's as much a performance in journalism as a perpetual act of catharsis. What, so if you wouldn't mind your reflections on that and um, really what that means. There is a catharsis. There is a release of telling these stories, getting it right. But at the heart of it, I think it's important to feel a nugget of the hurt and a nugget of the pain to pass a little bit out. So let's hold America to, to its ideals. America, the great, America, the beautiful. Let's hold that mirror and, and have a little bit of this pain because this is what we feel every single day. And as a journalist, I think the, what changes that is, again, the responsibility. You got to stay composed. You got to stay distant enough to tell the story. You got to learn to process it. You got to learn to breathe. We, we have to learn to, um, we can never disconnect, but we can dislodge some of it for a time. They need us. <laughs> 
They need us as black journalists. They need us as journalists. They need us to push and push to tell the truth because, as we know, there are powers and influences in this country that would rather the truth not be told. As stated in the first section, and if you actually knew, I've been sitting here for 45 minutes because my computer crashed. <laughs> the first time that's happened in, like, forever. I don't know what the hell happened, so... Anyway, that is basically PBS pushing Trump's voters are racist, and then you have the ever-presence black people, not gay people, mind you, are more susceptible to disease. But now the new twist. Stop and frisk, but in pandemic, data confirms black New Yorkers targeted for social distance violation at a higher rate after a series of violent arrest videos went viral this week. The NYPD finally released citywide data. Police officers made at least 120 arrests and issued nearly 500 summons for social distance violations. Citywide, black people make up 68% of those arrested are charged of violating social distance rules, while Hispanic people make up 24%. As reported, just 7% of those arrested for poor social distancing practices were white. More details on the violation were released Friday afternoon. Out of 374 social distancing summons, specifically citing health code violations, 304 were given to black and Latinx people. The data was released by the NYPD Later in the article, there's this lady, and she's tweeting a picture. Saving lives this pandemic is job one. The NYPD uses summons and arrests to do it. Most people practice social distancing with only hundreds of summons issued over six weeks. But the disparity in the numbers does not reflect our values. We have to do better. Scrutiny of social distancing policing at 3540 arrested are black. Rebecca Kavanaugh. NYPD also addressed the video at the press briefing saying the use of a punch does not indicate excessive force. And then they show a picture of a white lady because they did a PSA. No mask, no problem. This park goer in Domino Park didn't have a mask, no problem. Our task force officers gave her one. She just happened to be white. So now what's going to happen is the cops are going to be told do not do anything to black people. And then black people are going to get the virus, and it's going to be white people don't care about black people. It's a catch-22, but as we say down here, and yes, we're in the South, and I guess we're all racist, inbred, fucking our cousin people, that just happens to be that that's what the cops found. Do you really think in New York City, as social justice aware as that place is, cops are going out and looking specifically for people of color to summons? Maybe it's because people of color are blowing off the disease. Maybe that's why they have a preponderance of cases in Atlanta. Not that it's an evil Trump thing with Trumpers and maggots running around black communities coughing. But that's not what they're going to think. So that's the new twist. Because we got to find an angle. Once again, there's spotlights removed. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's going through hard times. Everybody doesn't have a job. Everybody's worrying about their mortgage. These special people groups that white liberals virtue signal to, they're not getting their attention. And they don't like it. Facebook politic fact call out Lincoln Project misleading Morning in American ad. And Joe Scarborough says he's going to do it. 
George Conway-led anti-Trump group, The Lincoln Project, released an ad, Morning in America. I know we covered it earlier in Media Bias, but this is where it belongs. That was ruled false by PolitiFact. Facebook also ruled they had misleading and slept a warning label on it. Groups saw record fundraising from the ad regardless. MSDNC's fucking Joe Scarborough. Are Trump Facebook allies really banning this ad? It's our company, but what a bad look for Zuckerberg and Sandberg. We will be porting on this banning of the ad Monday and played several times to do an in-depth fact check. By the way, I just watched it again. Fact check true. That's because Joe doesn't read anything but MSDNC of the New York Times and WAPO, and they didn't report about Facebook putting out a panel of all liberals. Yeah. So if your all-liberal panel on Facebook says, hey, this is biased, then what the fuck, Chuck? What the fuck, fuck, Chuck? I mean, dude, come the fuck on. 1619 Project is bullshit. Professor slams school choice advocate as white nationalist troll for criticizing debunked 1619 Project. Barrick Baker took to Twitter on Wednesday to assert that certain critics of the debunked essays are simply partaking in white nationalist gaslighting. So when people actually dig in and find out it's bullshit, now you're gaslighting. You're a troll. You're a trumper. You're a racist. See, that's... History's not written by the winners. It's written by liberals. Smells like Smollett. California students face felonies for allegedly faking violent hate crimes. And in case reminiscent of Jesse Smollett, one California student is facing felony charges for allegedly faking 10 separate incidents of racist attacks or threats against her on campus. Students rallied behind her, naive the fact that she fabricated. During one such report, Dominguez Pena was poorly found bruised at the bottom of a stairwell. We covered it. It's a lie. And now they're going to file charges on her. And I'm glad. Because that motherfucker still walks scot-free. Once again, we're told black people are disproportionately fucked over in our legal system. The guy lied. Nothing happened to him or the district attorney. Anti-unfiltered white people using black and brown emojis. As my granny used to say, we can't have shit to ourselves. This is what it sounds like. Tell me who's the racist. Hey nieces and nephews, it's your favorite auntie Monique Judge, and this is Auntie Unfiltered. Today on Auntie Unfiltered, we are going to take a request from my inbox. Now this lady sent in an email because she is a little bit frustrated with some of her friends. I'm going to read you that email right now. She wrote, Auntie. Tell white people they do not have to be brown to show solidarity. Nothing bothers me more than whitey affecting brown emojis. What the fuck? Can we please stop trying to take over? Can we please stop moving in and overtaking and giving the official information and thinking that it is the fix? It's the whole problem. Stop occupying people of color's space. Stop it. Get in your lane and stay in your lane. It's not divisive. It's respectful. It's the way you show equality, not gag tolerance. I want to say these 
things to well-meaning friends of mine who genuinely care but are too daft to understand that using brown and black emoji when you're not black or brown is insulting and shows nothing but your own ignorance. You're suddenly down with these people because you clicked two emojis over? No. You have no idea, will never, and frankly, aren't probably too welcome in that club. So stop! Put your clicker on and move the F over. Thank you. A very white, white girl. Well, very white, white girl, I'm glad you brought this to my attention because I'm going to be honest with you. I get annoyed when I see white people using black and brown emojis too. And in my opinion, it is the most egregious form of digital blackface. And I'm going to explain to you why. Now, everything in the world is white. White is the default. When we were little kids and we used to get dolls, and, and I want you to know your auntie is a lady of a certain age, okay? So, you know, when we got Barbies when we were little, Barbie was white. If you managed to get Christy, which was the black Barbie, you were really doing something because Barbie was white. All the baby dolls, Baby Alive, Cabbage Patch, all the dolls were white. Now, did they come out with black versions? Yes, they did. And we celebrated it. And you know why? Because white is the default. These black dolls meant something. It gave little girls something to look forward to, a, a doll that was in their own image. It's called representation. Now see, white people don't have to worry about representation because y'all are represented all up and through this shit. But for us, people of color, Representation is a big deal. We don't always see ourselves every time we turn on the television or look in a magazine or see a billboard or a movie or anything like that. Like the fact that we have to enumerate and make a big deal and you see articles written about it every time the first black person did this, the first black person to do that, the first black person to do this. Guess what? Because representation matters. These things are considered the exception because black people are not the rule. Y'all are. So when you put those black and brown emojis in your text messages and your emails and whatever else the fuck you're doing with it on Twitter and Instagram, you're not showing solidarity. You're being insulting. Okay. Because honestly, if you want to label that solidarity, that is the laziest fucking form of solidarity you could ever come up with. Do better. Okay. If you want to be a real ally, get your ass out there on the front lines, gathering your skin folk. What about all them white people that showed up at the state capitol in Michigan with guns and shit? Go round them up. Like, don't put, don't, you, you putting on a black emoji means absolutely nothing. It's superficial at best, honey. And you, you're not helping us with that. You're not doing anything. We're looking at you and we're judging you. So, in summation, as my last name is Judge, I'm going to say, leave the black and brown emojis to the black and brown people. And as a very white, white girl said in her email, stay in your motherfucking lane. Thank you. Now, your auntie is here every week to do this with you. So remember, you can submit your requests. You can submit topic requests, advice requests, whatever you need. Go ahead and send it to that email address, auntiesubmissions at theroot.com. And I'll see y'all here next week. So SJW's bitched and moaned because there wasn't people of color 
represented, just like gay people, in emojis. They make the emojis. Now you're butthurt that white people use them. White people call for them. Your allies. Then we have this NBC affiliate, The Root, article. Black Americans are bearing the brunt of coronavirus recession. This should come as no surprise. Because there's no poor white people. These same people say there's more white people on uh, social assistance than black people. But then they write articles like this. And in the article, economy history repeating itself. Because black people don't have any money other than Jay-Z, I guess. And all the sports athletes. And Beyonce. And everybody in rap music. The entire NBA. Most of NFL. Even hockey. Then, a false economy. The figures also undercut pre-coronavirus claim by Trump administration that in terms of jobs, black America had never had it so good, even though every statistical analysis said that was true before the pandemic. You see what we're doing now. Yeah, it's Trump's economy. Restoring resilience, which pretty much means fuck white people. And then not to be outdone by the gay community, 26-year-old black woman dies giving birth after she was neglected by doctors for weeks. Family said. No investigative reporting. The family said it. So it has to be true. So this goes with the PPFA. It's better to fucking abort your baby than have it. Because if you're a person of color, white doctors just let you fucking die. I did not research the next, and it'll take us to liberal shit. There was a guy who went on a construction site, and then he had an altercation with the cops. That's all I know. But Don Lemon ran with, community colors are under siege. Atlanta mayor said it's Trump's fault, because it's the same reason why her city has so many cases. Trump's fault. She has no responsibility. And then A.M. Joy, she blames the NRA. They got their talking points together. You know, it's, if you saw things went off tape and then back on tape, but it, it was a troubling, I mean, to anybody that watched it, certainly it was a uh, disturbing or troubling video, no question about that. But they have very good law enforcement in the state of Georgia, and I'm sure they're going to come up with uh, exactly what happened. It's a sad it's a sad thing. Very sad thing. Hate yeah. to see that. That's what happens. It's troubling. All right. I'm troubled by it. The whole thing is troubling. A young black man shot to death in broad daylight. But that is what happens. That is why people are so upset with very fine people on both sides. That's the kind of attitude that feels empowered in this country. With those types of comments. That is why African Americans in this country are so tired right now. We're so vexed. 
That is why we're so upset with the bottom of the rung. When it comes to job, we're working the jobs in this. You know, when you say immigrants are jobs that no one wants to work, being infected by the coronavirus, our kids being killed, gunned down. And an administration that says very fine people on both sides. We are tired. We are tired, exhausted from this. I'm going to talk to Ahmad Arbery's grieving mother tonight. But the fact is, communities of color feel like we are under siege in this country. How many videos? Have we seen like this video of Ahmaud Arbery's last moments? How many people of color have been attacked and killed in broad daylight? How many people would never ever have heard about them if it had not been for videos like this? And the toll of the coronavirus. Killing more people of color. The fact is, counties with higher black populations account for more than half of all the COVID-19 cases. Almost 60% of the deaths. Even though black Americans represent 13.4% of the American population. Scientists say it is clear that things like healthcare access, unemployment, and discrimination are behind the disparities. Are you listening, America? We are tired of jumping on everyone else's bandwagon to help everybody else. To help women who are fighting discrimination in the workplace. To help the Me Too movement. To help everybody else. LGBTQ communities. When are people going to care? Us too. Us too. When are people going to hashtag us too? When are people going to care about our issues? Why should African Americans care about opening up this country and rebuilding the economy if you're going to rebuild the economy on our backs when we are the people who are dying? There's even a stark difference when it comes to tickets for social distancing violations. This is what we learned today, that more than 80% of summonses for social distancing violations in New York City, the most diverse city in this country, issued to people of color, and on and on and on. Is it any one wonder that African-American communities, my communities, my people, that we are exhausted, that we are full of dread and sadness, wondering how much more can we take? That's the question. Not what do you have to lose? The question is, how much more can we take? Think about that. Answer that question for me. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Got a lot to talk about this hour. Caitlin Collins has the breaking news.
Dr. Ashish Shah ahead as well. All right. By a racial mob like that, it just, it just devastating the whole family. The shooting happened back on February 23rd. Authorities had possession of a now viral video of the shooting from the beginning. But the murder charges were not filed until this past week after the video emerged online and, and shocked and outraged millions of Americans. Do you think that the two men were only charged because the video became public? I think that's absolutely the reason that they were charged. I think had we not seen that video, I don't believe that they would be charged. And it is, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's 2020. And this was a lynching of an African-American man. And I think that, um, you know, my heart goes out to his family. But I think, again, it's a part of this bigger issue that we are having in this country. Um, with the rhetoric that we hear coming out of the White House, in so many ways, I think that many who are prone to being racist um, are given permission to do it in an, an overt way that we otherwise would not see in 2020. Um, because you have to remember, Jay, you know, in cities across this country, even if local leadership fails, there was always the backstop of our Justice Department to step in and make sure that people are appropriately prosecuted. But we don't have that leadership uh, at the top right now. It's disheartening and I can tell you, uh, I have four kids, three of whom are African-American boys. Um, they are afraid. They are angry and they are afraid. And I think that it speaks to the need to have leadership at the top that cares for all of our communities and, and not just in words, but in deeds as well. Your name has come up, speaking of leadership at the top, your name has come up in the conversation uh, about who um, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden might pick as his vice president. Congressman Jim Clyburn, who arguably propelled Biden to the nomination in South Carolina, has called you a, quote, tremendous VP candidate. Do you agree? Well, any time that uh, Jim Clyburn speaks your name and he speaks it in a positive light, then that's certainly an honor. I, mean, I, I think I'm a pretty great person. I don't know if my, my husband will agree with that, but um, I certainly think that Joe Biden has the right to pick whomever he thinks will help propel him to victory in November. So it's an honor to have my name spoken in that light. But being mayor of Atlanta right now is is a more than a full-time job continuing to lead our city uh, but also in the midst of COVID-19. I have to ask you about terror. Well, I, I, I agree that completely. I mean, I think that, that Nicole and, and other panelists are exactly right, that there are so many larger contexts that are important for these kinds of stories. Um, one context, as we just heard, is the, is the the history of the recent history of guns in the United States and the ways in which all the rhetoric coming out of the NRA and the, and the GOP has created terminology like stand your ground or uh, what I write about in my book, the castle doctrine. Um, these ideas that basically uh, oh, the white body, the white, the white home is a particular castle and looked at and just look at the ways that, that all of that rhetoric has been kind of um, deployed to the to the to give the idea that basically white Americans can use their weapons to 
defend, uh, to defend themselves, and even if they're out there looking for trouble, as, as we see here. Now, I think it's important to also note that there are many gun owners who don't don't fire their guns, uh, and these are the stories that we that we don't hear about. But I would say that the bigger context here about the ways in which guns have been constructed as symbols of of white um, kind of white privilege in a way, um, the ways in which uh, guns, particularly carrying guns in public like this, um, has been constructed as a as a way of kind of showing a particular form of white authority. It's like this this odd pathology that 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 white people feel like it's okay to say these things to, to, to other human beings, that it's okay to hop in the back of your pickup truck and hunt another human being down and execute him and film it for reasons that are beyond understanding. And I think you and I both know that if the situation were reversed. If a group of black people hopped in their, in their SUVs and trucks and shot a white guy, I don't think there would be people recusing themselves from that case in Georgia. I don't think there would be a, 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 a wait for two months before a video surfaced before they took any kind of action. And so we see this double standard play out. And all of it, though, is, is fueled by the rise of Trumpism and fueled by the fact that the most powerful person in the world views minorities and people of color as second-class citizens. And every policy that he has supported and, and, and imposed on the American people... Yeah is designed to elevate white people and, and, and keep people of color down in, you know, somewhere. down you're the next contestant on liberal shit and here's one more example of hey maybe we should have been doing this all along an fda approved research program is helping expand abortion access in some states and it happens to have the best name of all time a teleabortion is medical abortion or the abortion pill using telemedicine. You must be less than 10 weeks pregnant for teleabortion. If you qualify and want to continue, you will talk to one of our providers by video conference. Once the teleabortion provider has received your test results and you are eligible, your teleabortion package will be mailed to you. The kit includes everything you need to have and recover from your abortion, including a Sex in the City DVD box set that also functions as a heating pad. Women may want the option of teleabortion for all sorts of reasons, like privacy, easier access, or to avoid being screamed at by a pro-life protester wearing a no-fear shirt. Yeah, I just threw a lot of sound bites at you. So let's unpack that shooting. I, I'm going to research it for next time. It just happened last night, and I saw it on Twitter, or the night before, and I saw it on Twitter. So I don't know really what happened. But you saw the correlation of the grievance society. It's the NRA. It's Trump. Black people under siege. And then we go into our liberal shit. And it's just, you know, they can't get over this pandemic that they're calling for lockdowns forever. So thus, abortion clinics can't be open in most states. But these liberal states never shut them down. So liberal states like Virginia, Michigan, they're going to reopen in 2030. Well, you can still go get your baby killed. But as California campuses required, the vending machine for fucking abortion pills, 
Now they want to start abortion at home. And I will guarantee you there'll be how to, basically, backyard abortions, just like before Roe v. Wade. So these people can continue to kill those babies. Because you got to kill the babies. It's all about killing the babies. I mean, the climate crowd wants to eat the babies. The rest of the liberal wants to kill the babies. And because just like persons of color groups, gay groups, the abortion lobby, they're not getting enough attention. We got to get more attention. And now for the self-awareness, disgusting, Planned Parenthood, Mother's Day. From moms to moms on the front line, thank you, Planned Parenthood. Joe Concha, what? Virginia Cruda, this is a joke, right? Another one, I'm pretty sure if your mom went to PPFA route, you're not reading this. <laughs> That's the truth. Happy Mother's Day for the world's number one ender of motherhood. Maybe don't tweet today. Another one, you serious, Clark? Griswold. Judging by the responses, I'm praying that the tides are strong turning against you. This is a mom, not a problem, with a picture of a baby in it. There were religious ones on here. One in ten were religious. One in ten. Carol Ann. Yeah, right. Last I checked, you were equating killing your own child with following your dreams. Planned Parenthood would be happy to murder your children anytime. The holiday you have been trying to destroy for decades and so quilled by the creek. S-O-Q-U-E-L-C-R-E-E-K. I followed this person. Premature deaths in the United States from COVID-19 versus Planned Parenthood, 5 May 2020. This person is a fucking genius. The big push has been Vietnam, right? Number of Americans killed during the entire Vietnam conflict, 58,220. Reporting COVID deaths as of 10-13, 5 May. And once again, these are the actual deaths from a site, not the one I go to that says 80. These, This is a verified COVID death, 62,806. Estimated deaths via abortions at Planned Parenthood through 5 May 220. 118,381. Estimated annualized COVID-19 deaths. They're estimating the new models of real deaths, not everybody who dies is COVID. 183,394 in 2020, including a wave in the fall. Based on their own report, their average every year is 345,672 fucking babies. But I love the Vietnam aspect. I fucking love it. It is the shit. Because you want to use it, but you do more deaths than COVID could ever hope for. On the abortion clock, we reference all the time. In the United States today, there's already been 1,068 abortions. Roe v. Wade, since it, 61,940,749 abortions. By Planned Parenthood since 1970, 8,776,700, or excuse me, 800 babies. It just clicked in. By Planned Parenthood this year, 129,515 babies. United States this year, 312,166. U.S. this year after 16 weeks, 
14,984. U.S. this year due to rape, 3,028. Black babies since 73, 18,582,225 babies. Worldwide, since 1980, 1,574,418,282,83,84 babies. Worldwide this year, 14,653,467. Worldwide today, 49,613, 14 and 15. And as long as it took me just to talk to you about these numbers, 107, 108, 110 babies have been aborted. So, yeah, go fuck yourself on Happy Mother's Day. Go Fuck yourself. A female, well there's a bunch of them, let me read them because they deserve it. This comes from the organization who has done more than any entity in the U.S. to help prevent women from becoming mothers. Oh, the irony. Irony. Must be parody account. That was a black woman. Uh, Katharina, thank you. I'll make a donation to offset the Egypts and the replies who have no idea how vital your support is for reproductive health, health pregnancy, and achieving parenthood. Somebody, a female, and this is what ignorance looks like because they do none of those things. They don't give prenatal care. They don't help anybody. Um, the one religious one. I'm sure all babies you've murdered over the years and sold their corpses as part to. Really appreciate the sentiment. This is like getting a Mother's Day card from a serial killer. John 316. But my favorite's a female, white, in her 30s. I went to her web, her Twitter page. Carol Ann, at StatCatChai. Yeah, right. Last I checked, you were equating killing your own children with following your dreams. That was really big. Amongst females. Younger females. But what did the New York Times run this week? New York Times headline, hijinks hide abortion danger for Democrats, a deal breaker. Porter Maggie Astor profiled several young conservatives for a full-page lead story. For young Republicans, abortion fight remains a deal-breaker. A generation conservatives say the policy issue outranks their concern about Trump and the environment. The framing of the headline is so strange a first-class woman could easily think the deal-breaker refers to the abortion issue being an election problem for Republicans as liberal youth flee socially liberal Democrats. But the story itself clarifies evasively that it's support for the Democratic Party that is suffering among these young Republicans due to Democrats' unyielding support for abortion. Jose Francis Rodriguez supports a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. Mary Faith Martinez supports a public health care option. Ethan Lucky supports criminal justice reform. Autumn Croward wants government action on climate change. One thing they have in the column, they're all Republicans, like millennials, who are now in their 20s and 30s. More, But more often than not, they said one issue keeps them from committing to the Democratic Party. Abortion. While polls show an age gap in opinions on abortion is smaller than the gaps on some other issues. And researchers say that for people who oppose abortion, that opposition has become more central to their political choices. Even a young Republican often accepts the science of climate change and supporting LGBT rights. Abortion remains in a powerful force pulling them towards the Republican Party and towards Trump. There was no young vote crowing last time. Because Democrats can't even get funding unless they're for abortion. Codify row abortion, as Cuomo says, which means live birth abortion. And then you have CBS bringing on RuPaul 
the host, The Price is Right. And where's this money going for? Planned Parenthood. Nobody will do an after story about how people didn't watch. Because A, it's RuPaul. And B, because Planned Parenthood. Then we got the AP style. Because once again, we still got those entities saying this is a feminist problem. There's still a fight for feminism in the lib world. It's just really hard with the, all men with dicks who wear a dress or women too crowd. It just isn't working and there's little infighting. AP Stylebook comes out. We now say not to use the archaic and sexist term mistress for a woman. In a long-term sexual relationship with and financially supported by a man who's married to someone else. Instead, use an alternative like companion or lover on first reference. Provide details later. (laughs) So mistress is sexist. Sandy, you know your new suggestion term for moral acts are not well received. The ratio is ten times. Mark Hemingway, companion or lover, do not convey the important fact under meaning mistress. Manira Kajang, I still cannot believe they're actually trying to normalize infidelity. Most normal people cheating on your spouse is wrong. The media... And my favorite came from Sandy again. And as we go into our little climate section, y'all need Jesus. So is this. Mm. And you two motherfuckers need Jesus. Cover your ears, baby. Hey, we're ready for you. Yeah. Jesus. Thank you for joining us, Mr. MacGyver. We value your opinion. Thank you very much. But this is not about opinions. It's about science. Our planet is in trouble. Knowing isn't enough. We must apply. Being willing isn't enough. We must do. Da Vinci said that. My mother. Let's start with carbon pollution due to fossil fuels. Okay, so think of a volcanic eruption like the uh, popping of a champagne bottle. The cork blows out and then all of the gases that are trapped inside, they suddenly expand and shoot out. And Codex is popping that cork using a nuclear bomb? Right, but now imagine instead of liquid shooting out, it's the gases that have been trapped inside of magma for hundreds of thousands of years expel ash and cover the entire Western Hemisphere. Summer would disappear for possibly years. Wait a second. Just from one volcano? Well, yes, but not just any volcano. A really, really big one. The best I can tell, we've been driving over this thing for the past two hours. Without sunlight, the planet cools, reversing the greenhouse effect, which is good, but it also destroys crops, causing famine, disease. It's basically a reset switch. That's some funny-ass shit. So that was uh, MacGyver. I quit watching that show once the guy from um, NCIS left, and I know it's a shitty show. My wife used to judge me. Very much judge me for it, but I loved the damn show. It was so stupid, it was actually good. American University caves to environmentalist students demanding, or demand, excuse me, <clears throat> University of Washington has, uh, American University of Washington has caved to demands to divest from all fossil fuel investments. University announced in a press release April 22nd. 
So that group just grabbed them. New York Times whines GOP science denialist seized on wacky Green New Deal. The environmental activist reporter Lisa Friedman, whose paper has taken advantage of coronavirus pandemic to push liberal causes, now regrets Republicans have seized on wholly justified fears about the Democratic environmental policy in her piece titled GOP aims to use pain of shutdown to tarnish climate change. Also, Matthew Rosenberg and Jim Ruttenberg offer more bias labeling in the latest attempt to unmask the right-wing propaganda machine of their fevered imagination. Friedman makes a habit of shouting climate denial and did the same on Saturday. The coronavirus has struggled to contain it, has tanked the economy, shuttered thousands of businesses, and thrown more than 30 million people out of work. As President Trump struggles for a political response, Republicans and their allies have seized on an answer, attacking climate change policy. Critics said the Republicans' line of attack smacked us some desperation. Oh, really? Eager to avoid talking about Mr. Trump's response to the pandemic, Republicans have blamed China for the death toll. Accused Speaker Pelosi of failing businesses and now a warning that the Green New Deal is coming. Republicans' political strategists expressed hope that the conservative talking point ricocheted around the right-wing echo chamber could appeal more broadly as voters' attention focused on health and personal finances. The most explicit attack so far has come from the Heartland Institute, a climate denialist group with ties to the Trump administration. Later on in the article... Fight over de- virus death toll opens grim new front in election battle. Elements of right have sought to bolster President Trump's political standing by turning scientific questions into political issues. At the forefront of the fight are a number of climate skeptics who have long exploited the imperfection of scientific research. Imperfection? Like nothing's right? Every doomsday prediction is wrong. Statistical margins of error, huge error there, the subjective element of projecting modeling. To cast doubt on the conclusion, find that humans have contributed to global warming. Stephen J. Malloy, a fervent denier of the scientific consensus, was early to play down the coronavirus deaths. And they found one person. Yeah. One person. Good job. Then we have, from the root, biodegradable and compostable A-Zero bag might be the economic-friendly answer to plastic bag ban. If there's one thing I've learned playing Final Fantasy VII, it's to take Sharina and destroying the... Oh, whatever the fuck. This includes making switch to biocompositable bags. Despite those corporate bastards, I'm testing out an early sample A0 bag, the self-proclaimed eco-friendly replacement for plastic bags. After a plastic bag kicked off in New York earlier this year, city residents like myself have started turning our heads to alternative. The zero bag in particular made from vegetable starch. As a result, compared to 300-year ordinary plastic bag to d- degrade, these bags will take 18 months. And if you're thinking that making them any less durable, think again. Rated for 15 uses, the A0 bags are built to last. Yeah, I stand with nature. I am compositable. Yeah. Not using it. Spreads disease. Then we have Twitter in in the flow, and we see it with the Netflix shit. Obama's book becoming Michelle Obama's. And the subsequent media tour, Netflix has produced a documentary about the book and subsequent media tour, and Twitter has invited everyone to a special watch party Saturday afternoon. Twitter movies. Girl, she's done it again. Constantly raising the bar for all of us and doing it flawlessly. You're invited to a very special watch party on Michelle Obama documentary Becoming. Forced on you on your landing page. Well, my wife's. Not mine. Surprisingly, because I think they know I don't watch Obama. 
Responses, I'll pass thanks. Twitter bias is ridiculous. I'd rather lick the handrails in a New York nursing home. Raising the bar wishing she never had kids. I'd rather go wash all the cars in my driveway and then paint my house. Or get a root canal or mow my yard or watch HGTV. Do the laundry, wash dishes, color my own hair, do my nails, or change the oil in my car, or plunge a toilet. Literally anything else. <laughs> but there'll be no bias. That's what Netflix said. This is not propaganda. They're just going to be producers. That's, that's what they're going to do. Well, that's what they said. Huh. Then we have this environmental thing that I should have read first, but I had it out of order. November, when 13 cities and one county in California new zoning code encouraging or requiring new construction to be all electric, meaning there would be no more running natural gas lines. Why? Because of climate change. Natural gas is a fossil fuel after all, but electric stoves are powered by electricity, which is generated by burning coal. We're not certain how serious Matt Brewing is being here, but he got a Patron account going and seems to insist that gas stoves have got to go. The first thing out of my wife's mouth was, everything's gas on the left coast. And it burns clean. It's cleaner than coal. You people are morons. You worry about cow farts, but you want everybody to have electric. But then you get the crazies. And this, you know, on the heels of the New York Times article, uh, we're just a bunch of science deniers. And we're worried about you guys turning into fucking fascists. Listen to this tweet. After COVID, we should hire millions of people to go door to door, tearing out people's gas-powered stoves and replacing them with electric, whether they want to or not. Replies, honestly, what proportion of our pollution comes from gas stovetops uses full coal industry or mixing concrete? Bruning, it's all got to go. Another one, this is about to divide the left. It's just dividing cooks from people who think microwave meal is feeding yourself. This is up there with Ralph Nader wanting to ban carpet. He was right about that. Another, fascists are hilarious. This is by far the most cancelable Matt Bruning tweet. Sounds like a great way for people to get beat up in kitchens they busted into. And last but not least, eat my whole ass, somebody said. <laughs> I'm with the last one. Eat my ass. The whole ass. But that's how they look at it. You don't have a choice. We're saving the planet by telling you how to live. Next article, YouTube. Does YouTube consider Chinese Communist Party to be an authoritative source? We already know that YouTube considers the World Health Organization to be an authoritative source to the extent that it will remove, censor videos that run counter to the view promoted by organizations by labeling such videos as misinformation. However, the real question should be, does YouTube also consider the Chinese Communist Party as an authoritative source? In light of the fact that it's becoming increasingly apparent, even the liberal news outlets, the WHO is dominated by the CCP. Domination to the extent that nothing that runs counter to CCP propaganda is allowed to be presented in the WHO guideline. On April 19th, YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki and Mr. Brian Seltzer that anything that runs counter to WHO is a violation. We played it on the show. 
And since their policy to consider WHO as authoritative source, anything that contradicts WHO is removed. And as you are about to see, as revealed by Foreign Policy Magazine, which is hardly a right-wing source since it endorsed Hillary Clinton, how the WHO became China's coronavirus accomplice. This goes with the article I played earlier. Beijing succeeded from the start stirring the WHO, which both receives funding from China and is dependent on the regime of Communist Party on many levels. WHO was uncritically repeating information that Chinese authorities ignoring warnings for Chinese, twi- Taiwanese doctors underrepresented in the WHO as the United Nation body and likely to declare a public health emergency of international concern. We played all that on the show. And then you go through the whole thing and go, well, that's what you're saying, you two. The WHO, which literally put out propaganda, is authoritative. Thus, so is the CCP. Then we get Facebook, which we covered last time, partners with the left to make viewers MediaWise. Facebook is partnering with Soros-funded Pointer MediaWise project and a progressive news outlet to teach youth how to process media. Attention, the progressive social media-based news outlet aimed at millennials is launching a video series on Facebook and Instagram in partnership with Pointer Groundbreaking Digital Literacy Project MediaWise, Access reported. Axios, excuse me, summarized that Facebook came to attention to produce the series because it already proven that it knows how to capture millennial attention with videos, especially on Instagram. While Facebook has taken a free speech stance in the past, approaching an openly liberal outlet to train youth on how to process media is sure to raise quite a few skeptic eyebrows. The Pointer Institute has gained well over a million in donation from Soros. The Omnidare Network is named for liberal mega-donor and eBay founder Pierre Omnidare, who has put his money behind both the Intercept and anti-Trump outlet The Bulwark. The Pointer Institute even commissioned SPLC to make a blacklist of conservative unnews source, UN News, unnews. The list was created by SPL producer Barrett Garnett and had to be scrapped entirely with Pointer citing weakness and methodology. Axio explained further that Facebook is paying for the video productions on Attention's End. It's already funding some appointers' efforts through a separate grant program. Attention CEO Matthew Siegel observed that Instagram is realizing for the first time ever this election season, young people are seeing more news items on Instagram than regular news. The first video, which premiered yesterday, focused on encouraging young people to distinguish fact from fiction on content specifically related to coronavirus. It suggested five questions for users to ask themselves when they read something on the Internet. The video caption read, Coronavirus fiction spreads faster than truth. The five questions are, who's saying it? Do I trust them? What proof or links do they have? When was this published? Where else is this being reported? What do other officials and other trusted sources say? Why are they saying it? Is there motive or bias? Bonus, do I really believe it? Or do, do I just want to? They're going to own all media, is basically what I'm trying to say. They already do, but now they're going to use every media source they can to brainwash the masses, and that's kind of scary. From my social cause website, Religion and Its Discontents, Considerations Around COVID-19 in Africa. As COVID-19 has spread to many nations around the world and being declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization, 
In the global south, COVID-19 pandemics have stretched the available medical and health resources, triggered economic shocks, and caused social upheaval and insecurities in many countries and localities. While the pandemic has caused a huge number of infections and deaths in global north, the consequences in the poor nations and global south is acute. Serious challenges arise in response from authorities to contain the pandemic, ranging from hard to soft lockdown, curfew, limitation, blah, blah, blah. From fragile economies to ill-equipped health facilities and underfunded health programs to the almost non-existent social security measures that would ordinarily cushion large segment of the population from falling further into poverty, the impact on many communities of the global south would be grave. While COVID-19 has not had a devastating impact on Africa, as has elsewhere, according to official statistics, we fear that this may change. On the health side, health experts are already warning that the pandemic could yet exact a much heavier death toll in the region if overwhelms local health service, as it happened in the United States, United Kingdom. Never happened, but go ahead. Here are also concerns about the relatively weak health system and patchy testing. And then the article goes on to basically say the fear is religious groups will come in and take care of people and spread their nasty religion. This goes back to Samaritan purse shit. We'd rather have people die than get help from Christians. But that's the left. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's not good. Single most caring thing ever, blue check CBS Chicago reporter big story is tattling on an ice cream man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is fucking fucking Jesus Christ. Brad Edwards. No gloves, no mask, no problem. This ice cream man is not only ignoring COVID-19 protocol, but he's breaking the law. Such trucks are forbidden in Hoffman Estates. The village manor says if he sees him, he'll call 911. People's responses are fucking classic. That monster selling ice cream. Call 911. Really? Somebody doing the -the over-the-top picture with Karen and Brad. I guess those are two things. We have officially reached the dumbest point in history of this country. Governors are letting convicted criminals out of jail and then turning around and threatening to jail innocent people for doing their jobs. You know that face you make when your neighbor wants to have the same conversation about the pool they're putting in summer for the thousandth time? I just made that face. Another. 911, really? How about you slow your roll and call non-emergency, you idiots? You really should have stopped after no problem. Well done, comrade. And they wrote it in Russian. Big fucking deal. Don't buy ice cream from them. You don't want them in the neighborhood. This is the best reporting you can do. The protocol is useless illusion. And God forbid that he makes a living bringing to residents something they apparently want. I covered it because literally in my town or my neighborhood, they're doing it. They're handing out. There's an ice cream truck, and people love it. I never thought to check for mask. It just never crossed my mind. Paragona anti-gun integrity. Shannon Watts resorts to blatant fake tweets to slime pro-2A congressional candidate. Nick Friedis and his wife. Shannon Watts is a problem with Virginia Republican Congress congressional candidate Nick Freitas, namely that he's pro-Second Amendment, so she's encouraging all her fans of Virginia to donate to Freitas' opponent, Abigail Spanberger. But Shannon Watts can't just stop there. She's got to take it to 11. 
So she did. Based on the tweet below, I thought you loved moms demand Nick Friedis, or at least moms who demand action. Go here to donate to Virginia's incumbent congresswoman and gun sense supporter. My lovely wife got this shirt for my birthday. Love the message. Moms demand action. And it's got like sexual positions. She deleted the tweet without explanation or apology, naturally, but it's okay. Frida sought it, and this is what he said. Not only is this tweet verifiably fake, but she used it to slander my wife. They can't win on issues. They engage in politics of slander and personal destruction. Spanberger, VA07, do you stand behind the lies your allies, mom demand, are spreading to raise money for you? Turns out that a lot of people have been blocked by Shannon Watts, so here's the verifiable fake tweet that she fabricated to slander my wife and raise money for my opponent. Span- Shannon Watts spends so much time taking the high road, we're amazed she's hasn't been a po- hospitalized for nosebleeds. Nice Photoshop, Shannon. Sweet Photoshop, Karen. That's not even a good Photoshop. These are all replies. You guys forgot to put the at in his handle when you photoshopped this. Hey, Shannon, we know Michael Bloomberg is already your largest donor. Do you think he could spring for a little more so you can hire his new company, Hawkfish, to run your digital operation? I bet they can make a really good fake tweet for you to pass off. Andrew JL. She can't do better. Even if she could, she's starting from rock bottom. So it wouldn't make much of a difference. Another... Shannon Watts is lying? It must be a day ending in Y. <laughs> That's so true. <clears throat> Nick Friedis. Hey, Shannon Watts, how much money do you raise from Spanberger V07 before deleting the fake tweet you used to attack my wife? That information will never be known. Because they're not going to put it out. Then our last article before we go into our lighter fare... They didn't. If you've watched any sci-fi movies, there's always these little robot dog-looking motherfuckers attacking people, and I never knew where they came from. They came from fucking Singapore. And they're using robot dog-looking motherfuckers to run around, gauge distance, and make people social distance. It is the creepiest big brother, fascist-looking motherfucking shit I've ever seen, and it's probably coming to America. New York City... De Blasio saw this and he thought, wow, I could probably put stun guns on it and zap all those maggots. Enjoy. I know the audio's not that great, but damn, that's some creepy-ass shit. I mean, who the fuck came up with that? To our uh, first lighter fare subject that's just, that this is the left. This is just the fucking left. Remember, this guy's like 70-something. Hot, a cup, hot Cup of Joe, adult coloring book featuring sexy Joe Biden announced. 
The real and very disturbing news is that there's a new adult-themed coloring book titled Hot Cup of Joe featuring a buff Joe Biden that will be coming out June 16, 2020. We're going to go out on a limb and say that the author, Jason Millett, didn't intend the announcement of a sexy product release date to coincide with the other Joe Biden-centric news that has been rocking the mainstream lately. Only in the last days or so, more evidence corroborating freaking Tara Reid and blah, 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 blah. It's going to be an 80-page of Joe Biden's sex appeal for folks to color. Senior writer at Real Clear Investigation, Mark Hemingway, alerted conservatives on Twitter to the presence of this tone-deaf novelty item, captioning his humorous treat with coming to a bookstore next month. They idolize their people. It's not like us who just say, hey, uh, I'm voting for him because he's the best I got. To them, they're gods. They're deities. They must be objectified. SNL ended their season with one of those at-homes. It was actually pretty funny. If you go past the Trump bash in the beginning and you don't listen to Weekend Update, there was a couple good skits. I don't have kids now, of course. I'm a nester. My grandkids are North North Dakota. And because I'm older, and I miss most of my kids' lives in the Army, and then later as a traveling guy for a retail company, I really... Would relish the time with my kids. That's why I end it all the time. I take advantage, man. This would be awesome. But I am sure if I was younger, maybe I'd do this. Regardless, it's funny. Um, let's let kids drink was their skit, and it's pretty funny. The following is a public service announcement. Well, Mother's Day is Sunday. Father's Day's in June. Facts. It's been a hard ass time for families. Feel like the animals in the zoo. Traps. Parents need some help these days. Kids could use some too. Help. So, given the special circumstance, we'd like to introduce a special rule. Let kids drink. Just like mom and dad. If they got a little buzz on, would it really be that bad? Let kids drink. Tiny drinks. Just a couple sips. Full drinks. They'll be happier and funnier, and they'll fall asleep by six. They used to give kids whiskey to help them fall asleep. That's history. So a teeny tiny white claw is just a babysitter on the tree. Economics. They let kids in France drink wine a bottle or two a day. Mm. We asked child services and they said it was okay. Let kids drink. Not like they can drive. Except that one kid on the news who drove when he was five. Just one drink. One drink. Two if they've been good. Oh, uh, uh, uh uh-huh. Babies look drunk anyway. They burp and puke just like I would. Kids are quite resilient. And they always bounce right back. Bouncy kids. And it's not like they'll get blackout. Drinking half of a six-pack. Wait, what? They watched us drink a hundred drinks and smoke a little weed. That is medicine. So turn that Shirley Temple into an Ina Garden Grand Martini. Wait, what is this? 
soundbite for This Is America, but it was just, well, we're too long today, so I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'll just do the one article, and I'll kind of brush it over and just do my own stick on it. So, no bumper for This Is America, but this is one of the worst things I've seen this week. The pandemic has reminded us, we don't need more sports in our lives. We need less. With live sports on hold, ranking of the best sneakers aren't cutting it. A while ago, the exact year escapes me. I determined that somewhere, some way, in some manner or some fashion, the most of us in America had someone lost our minds. The nation is on tilt lately because we must stay home for a long, long time because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, also known to Alabamians and Georgians as the don't even think of messing with SEC football schedule pandemic. Anyway, apparently everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean anyone within shouting distance of Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith wants sports back ASAP. Incidentally, speaking of shouting distance, does Shannon Sharp ever whisper? Last week, ESPN coronavirus lockdown fan study that is an actual title, I swear, on Chris Berman's Bible of Nicknames surveyed 1,004 sports adults, adult sport fans, excuse me, and 76% were in favor of sports returning, even if spectators could not be in the stands. Then he goes on to say it's horrible and talks about World War One and Two and how wars are terrible and we're losing all these people. My reply, liberals always SJW sports because they are betas. Listen, I get it. I was average at wrestling and football, but I'm still a fan. Sports give us fellowship and commonality, regardless of demo. Maybe you do get it, thus as libs, this article to keep America divided. And I truly think that's the problem. I think when you break down liberals... That's a place where everybody comes together. If you're black, gay, straight, tranny, it doesn't fucking matter. If you're a Bama fan, you're a fucking Bama fan. You're rolling tide, and you don't care about the bullshit. Liberals can't have that. Said it a million times on the show, Game of Thrones gave us something to talk about at the water cooler. It made us come together. Made us put down our partisan divides and realize the person you're talking to is a human. They may think different than you, but they're human. 
Most of us normals in the flyover country understand that. That's why we're at Walmart or going down to get gas. You have a conversation with anybody. We all have conversations. The labels of white, black, gay, tranny, it, it doesn't apply. Well, other than opening a door for a woman, that's something in the South, and saying ma'am and yes sir more than the rest of the country. But th- this is a commonality. Sports brings us together. The left is getting what they've always wanted. It's what Obama tried to do for his whole eight years. It is what they always do. Divide and conquer. If you get everybody in separate little groups and you make them look at the other group and say, oh, look at those people, they can't be trusted. Rather be rich people, poor people, cops. Just That's why Obama's plan worked when he got elected. Sure, it helped he was the first black president that people could look at and go, hey, he's a pretty good guy, he's cool, I could vote for that guy. But you go to his website, there was no white dude. If you were a vet, you could get on there, but he had it all broken down by groups because he knew the Saul Linsky, I know right-wing radio says it, but it's true, you divide and conquer, you tear down trust and you get people isolated, and then you tell them, I'm the one that's going to take care of you, and it works. Donald Trump did the same fucking thing. It's what politicians do. Even though I'm on this show dogging all these stupid little causehead groups, and specifically our media, the partisan divide in our country is dangerous. It's horrible. And sports, they're like some bomb for the soul. They get people back together. Yeah, you go to chat rooms for sports or go to articles. There's some ugliness, but that's fan ugliness. But the left's been trying to invade it forever with the black ratio and the gay ratio and women aren't here. And then they run the ads about that San Francisco coach. Fuck me running. I don't give a fuck that she's a woman lesbian. I don't fucking care. I don't even care if she's a coach. You run more that than that than how awesome San Francisco was. They went from a shitty team to kicking the fuck out of the Packers twice. You didn't hear that. You heard about the lesbo coach. So now it's out. We don't need sports. Get rid of them. Sports are bad. No, they're not. If anything, it gives us all some combination. The whole concept right now is to at home together. We have Disney sing-alongs and every network is running it. Sports together would give us something else for together in those poor states that they're not reopening to 2030. So, yeah, betas will write this because betas don't like sports and liberals will double down on it because they don't want us together. They want us separated so they can get a really shitty candidate elected. But if anything right now we could use... It's some sports. So this wraps up a long episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Our next show will be the 15th of May, year of our Lord 2020. We'll do it next Friday. Until then, make sure, as always, disconnect from your devices. Give the, don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend some time with your family while you can. 
and tune back in next Friday for another show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.